no idea. It's okay if you don't you even understand. You would have stopped the clock all the time. We would have been done. The show has begun. I can hear the music, TT. I, I just, we're, I'm just trying to go through the... Hi, everybody. Sorry about this. We were just in the middle of the We Talk Games Family Feud. Now, we, we play Family Feud a little bit different around here. We just do the versus lightning round. And I'm just trying to wrap it up. TT has a score of 88. Stinky, I'm just in the middle of tallying up his points, which so far is zero. Of course, I am acting as the Richard Dawson. And we compare the lightning round points to all the survey answers that are mailed back from our We Talk Games listeners. Now, I know that show is stacked today. we got to get Japan on the line. We're on a schedule for that. But if you don't mind, I'd just like to run down the rest of Stinky's answers here so we can come up with a final score. Well, if you wouldn't have kept stopping the clock, we'd be done already. Well, I stopped the clock because it's just like I don't think you understand the questions. All right, let's just run through this real quick. Sorry about this, listeners. All right, the question was, name something people do when they're alone. Your answer was? Cry. Survey said? Nothing on there either, Stink. Just sadness. Okay, and that, name something that little kids don't like to wear. And you said? Teeth. Teeth. Yeah, they're false teeth. You like to stay consistent here. Survey said? <coughs> Nothing. Name an animal that starts with the letter C. Stinky, you said? Carrot. It's, a, it's an animal, Stink. Survey said? <coughs> So far, zero. There, I don't think there's any way for you to possibly... We have two more questions, so let's see what uh, your answers were here. Name something made of leather. Your answer, Stink. A cow. Survey said. <coughs> Goose egg. And name a part of a video game controller. Stinky, you said. The top part. And survey said. <coughs> you lose. Can we get going here? All right, TT, I'm recording as fast as I can, okay. All right, hello, everybody. Welcome to We Talk Games, episode 15. I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. On the left side of the podium with their hand on the buzzer, TT Schmootkins. My name is Titty Schmootkins, August 25th, 2219, Third Fleet, Earth Orbit. And a loser of games, but a winner in life, my uncle, Stinky the Game Master. Stink? I thought you said we weren't supposed to talk about that. Well, I've been giving it some thought, and I think some circumstances came up that I changed my mind about that. But we'll talk about that later. This is the first time I'm hearing about this. Well, Stinky's actually my great-uncle. He's my grandfather's brother. That means that me little baby will be your uncle? I think that would be my great-cousin, but we have a stacked show today. Kyle Von Kubik and John E. Capcom will be on in just a little while. But all the hoopla today will, of course, rotate around our special guest as chosen by the RIT Team WOG system on last episode. It will be our first transcontinental interview with the Japanese gaming juggernaut Taito. We Talk Games is honored to talk to the 30-year veteran and CTO of Taito, Yukiharu Sambe. So holy mackerel, Annie, I can't believe it! And that's not all. We will also be joined by our Gold Star correspondent, Rachel Moore. Rachel Moore will be joining the show. So let's dive right in and get started. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Ha-ha! As you noticed, there was no singing about retro gaming underneath that intro. 
As I mentioned on the last episode, We Talk Games has acquired one of the late 80s Jurassic publishing giants, Video Power Magazine. And we've already seen the first fruits of that merger. And that has been our revamped social media website. Just go to wetalkgames.com and become a part of that because we have haiku reviews, we have one-sentence reviews, photo albums, and a lot of great community going on at wetalkgames.com right now. And I'm proud to announce the second wave of this union. Along with our monthly Mega Mothership show, we will be adding several weekly satellites of content. So look for those breakout bonus levels to appear in your feed in the very near future. In fact, my downloadable arcade at home segment will kick off the launch and then other new and exciting mini-sodes will follow. So I'm really looking forward to that. Keith, let's open up the line. We're going to do something a little bit different. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik and Johnny Capcom on the phone. Satellite of Integrity hovering over Anascarthy. Go, both of you. Kyle Von Kubik and Johnny Capcom. We're going to double up on the one-on-one. It's now going to be a three-on-none. I thought this would be nice since we're both going to really hit Taito heavy probably during our talk. This this episode of We Talk Games is really going to focus a lot on our Taito memories. And then, of course, we're going to have Sanbe-san on. Wow. He's only the chief technology officer of all of Taito. That's all. So I thought this would be neat to have our first three-on-none co-host segment. The Triforce, if you will. Yes. And because of the timing differences between Japan and the United States, we have to go to Sanbe-san real quick. So that's why I thought I'd put you two both on before we uh, jump on the horn with Japan. Makes sense. Right on. So what do you got for us, Kyle? We'll start with you, my friend. Well, real quick, <laughs> let's do some lightning round PlayStation 3 gaming. Okay. I finished up Heavy Rain. Ah, okay. Uh, it's a wrap for that game. And I said this on uh, WeTalkGames.com. Go there. Be interactive. Oh, my gosh. Is it so interactive there? What's happening? The big thing a little while ago was one-sentence reviews. You know, who has time to listen to this nine-hour podcast that we put on every month? You can just go go right there. One sentence, you know. I said in the 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 age of secondary orality, our program falls in line with secondary orality. I'm talking about print. And thanks to Ouch for the great idea. Ouch, he's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. He's there on, on the uh, the We Talk Game site. He's been doing these one-sentence shot reviews. And I'm yeah. like, you should start a group. Right. And then he didn't. So I did. <laughs> a Amazing. bunch of people joined. It's a great thing. And now the big new hot trend in WeTalkGames.com is, of course, the haiku reviews, which is just right. skyrocketing. This is and amazing. Who was doing that on the site first? Uh, that would have been uh, uh, Ricardo. Yes, Ricardo was doing them first, and he didn't make a group, so uh, Tupiar did instead. Yes. The Apple, Ricardo Milo. So, and his his haikus were hilarious, and it spiraled into something better. Anyway, even Chiz so, has haikus on there. Everybody has. Well, no, I don't have a haiku. John doesn't either. But I don't yeah. know. Oh, we're working on okay, it. Okay, very good. Well, John and I have talked about our haikus off the air. We are on the show, so we, you know, don't really need to worry about it. <laughs> you don't have to get over with me to be part of the show by impressing me with your haikus. We gotcha. win by default, right? Okay, so what do you got for us? Uh, that notwithstanding, Kyle. Well, I said it on the boards. I said I really enjoyed the ride of Heavy Rain, okay. but I was a little disappointed by the destination. For me, it was like going on a road trip 
and seeing all of the great sights of America, the Grand Canyon, the Alamo, the nation capital, and then the final destination of this extraordinary road trip being a Stuckey's. <laughs> okay. I see. And as much as I love saltwater taffy yes. <laughs> at a gas station, it's I was a little disappointed. And there was a lot of detractors uh, of heavy rain saying it was nothing more than quick time events. And I defended it last month. Mm-hmm. But the last segment really did feel like a quick time event. And that kind of made me sour on it. I know I didn't get a perfect ending, but I got a good ending. All four of my characters were alive in the end. So mm-hmm. I was happy. I still really enjoy the game. I recommend the, this game to people who are interested because it is interesting and it does pull out the heartstrings a little bit. Now, I didn't cry. No, oh, yeah, cry you did, you game. big I didn't cry, baby. Okay? Yeah. But I did feel an attachment to these characters, and that was cool. It was something that I hadn't felt since, I think, Final Fantasy VII back on the PlayStation. Wow. Yeah. So I really enjoyed the game. I just... The ending kind of fell flat. And don't get me wrong, there were speed bumps and potholes on that road trip. You know, the voice acting was weird at times, and the animation wasn't always polished. But overall, a good game. Well, what about the DLC? Now, did you investigate that at all and consider giving that a try? Or what I is considered it, giving you know? it a try, but I decided not to. I listened to an interview with the creator of Heavy Rain, whose yeah. name escapes me, and he said that that wasn't ever meant to be anything more than just a tech demo. Uh, I see. So it had no real bearing on the story okay. that you played. It, it has like a little one-shot with one of the characters. I wasn't interested in investing the money in it, but for people who really dug this game and really dug that those particular characters, maybe it's something for them. I just I didn't really interest me. Right on, right on. So I, I felt pretty satisfied with the story that I got. But speaking of DLC on the PlayStation 3, Mega Man 10 and Zen Pinball both dropped some DLC. And there's not really much to talk about. If you got Mega Man 10, buy this DLC. And if you got Zen Pinball, buy that DLC. Why? Because it's chump change. It's price to move <laughs> at yeah. freaking pennies. How well, do you not buy something that's 99 cents or for Zen Pinball, 279 Yeah, It's a steal. Well, the Excalibur table was what I talked about. Came out for free on your Xbox. I know, but and then I, I had to drop two dollars and seventy nine cents to get. That's it on okay the, though. It's but okay. But yeah, you know what? I I like Zen Pinball. I played a little bit of the Excalibur table. It's okay. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm still cutting my teeth on that one. I'm I'm not really feeling it. Yeah. The the, I, the middle I, the middle hilt really. I mean, I know it's supposed to be a big target, but. It sometimes it up. makes your ball just go flat when it hits the yeah. sides of that. And then it just drains right down the middle. Yeah, yeah. So, But like I said, $2.79. Exactly. If you dig Zen Pinball, you already yeah. bought it. Why am I telling you about it? Right on. Sam and Max, Devil's Playhouse, Episode 1, The Penal Zone. Hold on, i got to hit my inhaler. <laughs> okay, I'm back. <laughs> now, this game literally just released, so I've only been playing it for maybe a couple of minutes And as a great, great thinker of our generation said, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Me. Fool me twice, we're not going to be fooled again. (laughs) And I got fooled again because I threw down the cash to buy all, what, five episodes in one clip and get the $5, $10 discount. So... For the next couple months, listeners, you might hear a little bit of Sam and Max here and there. But I love this franchise. A lot of great memories and nostalgia. Back from my childhood of playing it on my Mac. This isn't the same game. Now, what this game has is what the previous games didn't. It's funny. It's got some style. 
but the thing that it was lacking in the previous games, it's still lacking, and that's in the fluid animation. I've seen comic strips in the Sunday paper that ha- have higher frame rates than this game. <laughs> uh, it falls apart during the cinematics. I see. There'll be times where my character will freeze, and it's a little janky at points. Uh, it it just breaks my heart because I want this game to succeed and I like the direction they're going. This game has a lot of style and it was funny from jump, at least to me because I like these characters. Mm -hmm. The previous games I felt weren't funny and didn't have the same essence of the Sam and Max hit the road game that I remember. But this game seems like it's pointing in the right direction. I just hope they polish it up a little more than this first episode. And from my understanding, this first dropped on the iPad. Oh, really? This game released on the iPad before any other system. I see, I see. I I see on the the PlayStation Store that you can buy the first episode for free. Yeah, you can can get it for free, according to this month's Pulse magazine, which will be switching to Tuesdays, everyone. Tuesdays will be the release of DLC and Pulse magazine. I'm marking my calendar now. (laughs) Yes. Check it out. Graphical adventure games are your thing. For free, see what it's about. See if Mm -hmm. you're going to like it. I'm hoping that... I hang on to a little more to justify buying all the episodes, you know, as a pre-order. Right. I just hope I'm not disappointed. And I really wanted to succeed. Uh, our friend Dave Grossman, who was on the show, yeah. worked on this game. He's a funny guy. The game seems like it's funny. It's just, you know, uh, disjointed. Gotcha. So. Also for the PlayStation Store, and this is one mostly uh, relating to Johnny Capcom, I think we'll get the biggest kick out of this as well. But because, uh, John, now you don't have a PS3, right? No, I don't. Did they release that in Ireland, or what are we at there? PS2, PS1? PS3? Yeah. Oh, it's it's over here. Is I it? just don't want one. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Is it is it popular there? I would. I know. Uh, it's more popular than the 360. From well, like, when I was working in a video game store not too long ago, it seemed a lot more. A lot more people were playing the PS3s than they were the 360s. But wow. then again, this could be because I'm down here in the south. Gotcha. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Okay, uh, this came out for the Xbox 360 and for the PS3, but mostly I'll probably only play this on a PS3 against Kyle if he happens to take my cries for help to join me on this game. Uh, Final Fight Double Impact came out. Now, it came out at a $10 price tag, and I'll explain that in a little while. At first, you're presented with a Final Fight Arcade cabinet in beautiful, stylized 3D. It's an HD background. With a pipe next to it. The steel pipe is leaning against the arcade cabinet, and it's a dilapidated brick wall that you're in front of and a chain-link fence. And on the wall, there's a poster of Jessica. Have you seen Jessica, you know, of course, the missing mayor's daughter. Now, as soon as you start playing this game, the default settings are set that once you start the game, you whirl via 3D interface into looking down upon the arcade screen, complete with the side bevel art, the horizontal scan lines, a little bit, slight monitor flicker and slight distortion of a regular arcade cabinet monitor. With the dirt all over as well. There's some smudge going on, especially on the bezel. And the game graphics are also smoothed out at the default settings. But you take a trip to the settings, and that reveals the ability to smooth, sharpen the graphics, or use the original pixel art. And, by the way, this is all pixel art. It's just that sometimes you put this trilinear filter on it, or you can sharpen them up with even more detail and stuff like that. But the game is the arcade ROM, period. 
with the ability to play online, cooperative, and a few other perks uh, thrown in as well. But for $10, you are really basically playing the same game that you played on your Sega CD or your Super Nintendo, but with a gorgeous presentation interface. The interface is amazing. But wait, what's this in the upper left corner of the title screen? Swap game? You press the swap game button, and the interface swivels and lazy Susans to the right to reveal a medieval castle wall motif with a magic sword cabinet complete with a treasure chest and broadsword leaning against the cabinet now. Now apply all that I said about Final Fight to the Magic Sword arcade game, and now how much would you pay? Eight dollars. Okay, well, um, you're, we're getting closer, brother. Yeah. Crap. I'll be playing the 800 points that i got to pay for it. Well, 800 points is $10. For us, so that's eight euro over here. Cause, there you go. Oh, I send see. me some euro. Yeah, that's kind of crappy that it comes out a few weeks after the 360 game room launch. I mean, I would have liked to see you know these two arcade games, which I like both of these games, and to be able to purchase those within the 360 arcade, since that makes sense. But it's a very nice bundle to justify the ten dollar price tag. And like I said, the presentation's great. And you can play with your friends, you can invite them to come and join you cooperative in a game, or you can jump into or start any online game with even strangers. And you can like jump into any open online game, and maybe you'll be like in a 25th level of Magic Sword or something. And let me tell you this, just uh, in case you were worrying, there were other people and other games to jump in on the PSN network as well. So Okay, good. No worries. So about you're that. you're trying to convince me to buy this game. I'm telling you that I was worried about the ten dollar price tag, mostly yeah. because I saw Final Fight. Oh, Final Fight Double Impact, cool, I'm getting it. Thinking that I was gonna get a new game. I actually just got the original arcade game and I said there's no way that I should be paying ten dollars for this, not realizing that if I would have read the full title, it says Final Fight, Double Impact, and Magic Sword. So you get those two arcade games with a real neat presentation. There's unlockable, there's achievements to unlock. You can unlock an episode of the uh, Street Fighter 2 TV show featuring Guy and Cody and Hager and all of that. There you go. Sold. Yeah, and you can do that. You can unlock posters and concept art and all that other type of thing that no one really looks at anymore unless you're incredibly bored. For 10 bucks, it doesn't seem like it's that investment no. it seems like it's worth it it's really worth it it's really worth it I, th- I think it's cool and especially for anybody that's into the retro games and, and really like those games now did you pick that up John I got the demo this afternoon okay. and I was only able to play I, I'll probably buy it fully on Monday the one thing that I loved about it I mean the emulation is perfect it looks really great it looks fantastic uh, it was when I put on Final Fight and the uh, the screen came up you know where it says like check ROM loading and all yep, yep. That was awesome. It's the you know, full ROM, no doubt about that. It, they could have just thrown Final Fight out on the live arcade as just the ROM, and I would have mm-hmm. bought it anyway. Sure. But I think they've really made me want to pay the money for this because it's just fantastic. It's really customizable, and I mean, it's Final Fight. It's awesome. And I own Final Fight on two or three. I own the Game Boy Advance sure. version, and I own the uh, PS2 thing on the Capcom Classics collection. Yep, yep. I'm still going to I'm still going to be buying this. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not quite the the big gaming giant bubble of excitement that I got when I saw how R-Type was remade, but I, I would say $8. I wouldn't say 10. 8. What else you got for us, Kyle? Well, here's a game I want you and John to pick up. It's for the Nintendo DS and DSi. It's WarioWare DIY. Okay, I picked this up for my uh, WiiWare. Oh, you did get it. 
just the WiiWare, not the DS. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about the WiiWare, so I hope you know you clue me in. I I, I want to get it. I just haven't had a chance to pick it up yet. Well, evidently um, you're going to be able to transfer your games that you make on your DSi to the the Wii or something. Right. Well, this game is a dream come true for me because back when Mario Paint came out and I was sitting there with that little mouse clicking away on my Super Nintendo, I dreamed about putting together games with these tools. And that's essentially what you do in WarioWare DIY with, you know, a little more flair to it than that. But when Little Big Planet came out, I said to a couple friends, here's something that Nintendo should be doing. Mm. Nintendo should be like, here's the tools to make a 2D Mario game make them post the levels and have all this uh interactivity between the users and create your own mario game now i understand why they wouldn't do it because they're very protective of their first party franchises but i just thought that to me that was a lot more compelling than playing with my sack boy Uh, i thought it'd be more interesting to put together something as iconic as a mario level and and what did people do when they got little big planet they did level one one of Mario, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. So but, I don't uh, understand why Nintendo never capitalized on it because they could have done DLC for like, all right, here's the pack for Mario Two US. Here's the pack for you know those pieces, those enemies, those those power ups and things like that. Here's the Donkey Kong power ups or sprites. You know what I mean? Like that would have been cool. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. It probably will never happen. But at least this is the step in that direction. We did see some of the level creation, but only on Excite Bike. Well, yeah, exactly. On a Psych Bite, we did see some cool level creation. But you couldn't share that. Are you talking about the original Excite Bite? No, the, the new, new one? one. The new one you can share, but it's such a niche. It's it's just creating a, a dirt bike track. Right. And nothing well, as extensive as, as an action platformer that has some type of iconic personality you can get involved with. What's more iconic than Mario, if not Wario? So WarioWare DIY is essentially do-it-yourself WarioWare games. If you're not familiar with Wario games, they're like little 10-second games that are played in a sequence, and the whole gimmick of the franchise is for you to figure out what you're supposed to do in those 10 seconds. Right. You keep moving on. Now, of the WarioWare titles, this is probably the weakest in the franchise next to the downloadable DSi game, which I hope you'll talk about, uh, because I've never played that. But as far as the cartridge games are concerned, this is probably the weakest in the franchise because it only has about 100 minigames in it, because the real meat of this game is making your own games and posting your games up on Nintendo WFC wi-fi channel and sharing it with people what you put into this game is what you'll get out of it there's a lot of tutorials there's a lot of reading it was no mistake that this game dropped with the dsi xl because my eyes are completely strained reading the walls of text that this game puts before you i see but don't let that be a deterrent if you want to do this because it's gonna show you how to do it It's just going to take a little bit of time. And what you're going to find is, and this is a pro player tip, keep it simple, stupid. You know, that old adage? Sure. You don't want to think that you're going to make the next Mario, the next Zelda, the next Metroid. You're not going to do it. At best, you'll make a really good Game & Watch game. Gotcha. Uh, Essentially, it's software. It's more of a software title than it is a game title. 
you can find a lot of creative things that you can do within these restrictions that I think will have a lot of fantastic results. And a lot of creative ideas are going to come through, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of horrible and perverted ideas that will also come down the pipe. I have put up a few games. Oh, great. And I want to share my friend code with all of our listeners so they can go on there and download them. And feel free to go to wetalkgames.com and tell me how much they suck. Here's my friend code. <laughs> okay. 47270363 Oh, but Kyle, that was too fast. Rewind. All right, so there you go. Go on there. If you have the game, uh, I, I'm sure you can do it on the WiiWare version as well. Put in my friend code. Check out the games. I put up two games. I put up uh, a three-card money, which is kind of what it is but not really and i think metalhead was the other one where you have to defend a city from a city crushing robot oh fantastic so nintendo really did boil it down to make it very easy and accessible but you you have to want to do it so this isn't going to be for everybody so if you're hoping that this is just like the next step in the warioware franchise it's really not in fact the warioware games that are in here are actually scaled back from what they were in touch because you're not doing things with the microphone. You're not doing anything with the DSi camera at all. So it, it's more or less just touching the screen. Are you swatting bugs with a fly swatter? Uh, you know what? I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, very good. But there's there's things that you can do. And yes, at first when you you start these tutorials, you're going to be like, man, it doesn't seem like you can do a lot. It's going to be a lot of experimenting. I spent many an hour building games and then trashing them at the very end because I just wasn't happy with the results. But from that garbage, I learned something for the next game. Right. So in the pike right now, dried macaroni, the game, the game. And people who are in the know know all about dried macaroni, the game. Well, I'll be buying that soon. I'll be buying DIY if that comes out on the Wi-Fi channel. It it is definitely uh, almost finished. So it's a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of it's relaxing a little bit because sometimes it's frustrating, but I enjoy doing it. And the DS is such a consumer product. You don't create on the DS. So to be able to do that and sit there with a stylus and draw instead of drawing like on the wall of the place I work with a Sharpie marker, I can now actually (laughs) draw those doodles and make them do something on the DS. That's cool. And I really dig this game. I hope both of you guys uh, really get into it because I'd love to see what you create as well as our listeners. Very good. And speaking of Pico Chat, does anyone draw anything (laughs) except boobies and penises to, to chat to each other? Don't fix what ain't broke. Right. So on top of creating your own micro games, you can also create music for those micro games, as well as comics for some reason. I don't I'm not really sure why you wow. can create your own comics, but you can, which that's kinda cool. It's like kinda like the flipbook thing on the DSI, but hmm. it's not an animation. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. We all know how well the flipbooks go. I mean you have people uh that keep it clean, and others that sure. do not. And, of course, sometimes that content does make it through the Nintendo sensors. But Yeah, uh, you're looking at, you know, robots or something, and all of a sudden a pinus in your face. Yes, right. So, And you know what's really cool about this is all of the content that you can get from all the other users. It's called the NinSoft Store. Okay. It's not the greatest name for this, but it's the Wi-Fi connection channel that we're discussing. And you can go on there each week, and they have new games from users based off of these themes that they're doing. Each week, they have a contest. Oh, right. And, like, last week's theme was machinery and whatever you want to do for that. So I made a game for that. And this week's contest is for sports. So I did a game for that. And then after the contests are up, 
they'll take the best and put it on the store and then people can download them for free. And what's also cool about that is there's also uh, what they call big name games. Mm. And these are guest star creators, people like Ron Carmel of World of Goo made a micro game and it's up for download. Sakamoto is on there. The fellow who made uh, Cave Story is on there. So it's really cool. And I just like the integration between all the user content. And with these big name games, it's cool, too. And it's all free. Hey, you know what you should do? You know that game Left 4 Dead? Yeah. You should make a sequel to that, Left 5 Dead. That would be great. Before we go to you, John, let me just break in with a little bit of Taito history. We'll talk a little bit about some of the games that we might love and be in love with by Taito, since they're going to be our special guests on today's show. And the thing about Taito, I think, is that we often forget how many fantastic games that they're actually responsible for, because they span so many different genres. And the one thing that I really admire about Taito is that each game that they've made, they've really focused on and made a very, very solid title. There's very few stinkers, if any, that you can point to that Taito has created. They're all very compelling and fun games in their own genre, in their own way. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to just bring up a couple of arcade games that I remember. I definitely want to touch on games that I played forever on my PC Engine, uh, some PS1 titles, DS. We'll get into it all. But one of the titles that I think we can all agree on that is one of the most fun arcade pro wrestling games has to be Mania Challenge. Uh, also known as Map Mania or Exciting Hour. Who can ever forget such great characters as Insane Warrior, Karate Fighter, <laughs> Coco Savage, the Piranha, and Golden Hulk? Based uh, on no one. That's <laughs> thinly veiled, so I don't know if you'll be able Piranha to... San Martino. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this still controls and plays as one of the best pro wrestling games, especially in the arcade. Well, it didn't really have too much competition. What, tag team wrestling, which was text-based, which I loved, but... I mean, here you could jump out of the ring doing uh, flying body presses and, and, and all this other type of really cool things. There was a weapon outside the ring. It was very advanced for its time, but one of the most fun things about it is looking in the audience and seeing a slightly modified Superman, Popeye, ZZ Top, uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, Darth Vader, Batman and Robin, you know, different little characters that were thrown in just in the crowd, in the audience, really made this game even more special. Some of the other games, and like I said, I'm jumping completely around, but we might have forgotten that even games for the Sega CD that started as an arcade game, Time Gal, one of Taito's Laserdisc-based games, you know, in the style of, of Dragon's Lair, what do they call these now? full motion video games Uh, Time Gal was a great thing from Toei Animation so you know that was a really neat title that a lot of us have forgotten of course the classics like Jungle Hunt and I'm not going to name like Space Invaders I mean geez we we all know that but that was uh, huge yeah but Jungle Hunt was an amazing game that was fun you can still play that today the only good version of any Superman game was a Taito two player arcade game where you could be either Superman or that guy that looked like orange and yellow, which was very bizarre. It had all the powers of Superman, but we don't even really know his name. Sunman, maybe? I don't know. But it, that was pretty much a side-scrolling punch-and-kick style game on American soil. We were in front of Mount Rushmore, in front of the White House, and things 
this. They also made great games that we saw for PlayStation 1, like Ray Storm, Ray Crisis, those great shooters, the great polygonal shooters for the PS1. They're uh, tell also, me quickly, yes. uh, did, was there a first level where you were kind of going underwater and stuff? Uh, you might be confusing that with the, the 3D Darius versions, but... I, Ray Storm was the one where you press down the button to lock on all your uh, the most opponents you can, and then when you let it go, big bursts of a spray of bullets would come out. The oh, Gamera okay. game was a lot like that as well. But Ray Crisis was a really, really neat, neat uh, title. There were there were vertical and horizontal levels, and it really made you feel like you were high above the backdrops that, that this was uh, going on. Some of it was in space, I think. Uh, but now it's sort of all blurring together. But definitely at the time was big news for me, as well as Dencha Dago, Go by Train, which is the one that even had its own train controller that you would give it the full throttle and break and you had to drop people off and stop within a certain zone and get people to work on time and things like this. Fall asleep at the controls. You could do that, yeah. Oh, that happens in real life. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's horrible. Also, other great Genesis titles in Sector X. You know, who didn't have that? If you had the Genesis and you loved shooters, just about everyone had in Sector X. That was uh, based off an arcade title. And pretty much everyone that I knew that was an early adopter of the Genesis had Final Blood which was what it was called in the arcade. But at home, and in the States especially, we got James Buster Douglas knockout boxing. Yes, that good old side view boxing. You're like, where did this come from? The only way to play boxing, by the side view. It's amazing stuff. And for the PC Engine the Japanese Turbo Graphics, my time was consumed with Taito games. Hit the Ice cartoony hockey game. I think it was like three on three or or four on four, something like that. But the audience, people would throw like squids onto the ice and then you would get stuck on that. You could, of course, punch people in the face and do all the things that you do in normal hockey. But really funny, really cartoon, great hockey game. I think one of the most fun hockey games since the Blades of Steel came out on original NES. Of course, we had Kiki Kai Kai. I played that, the Japanese version of that, on my PC Engine which was also known as Mysterious Ghost World in Japan. In the UK, I believe it was released as Night Boy. But this was the first version of Pocky and Rocky for your Super Nintendo, which I don't know if you did you, either of you play that. That was a f- really great vertical and horizontal type of three-quarter overhead view shooter yeah. where you were either uh, the, the girl Pocky or the raccoon Rocky. Yeah, I think it was two-player when it came to Super Nintendo. But this was the first version of that based on the arcade games. And I love that. I thought that was that was just a, a super, super game. Fun bosses. You're fighting against all types of ghosts and stuff like this. Um, Chase HQ. I mean, who doesn't like that game? Outrun with cops and robbers motif and fast cars and respond to this type of emergency and then you chase down the cars. Uh, Kadash, another really neat magic-based, side-scrolling, multiplayer, fantasy-based beat-em-up. And one of my favorite shooters of all time, and I don't know how I could not have brought this up when we were talking about funny and weird games and stuff like this, Hana Takadaka, Super Long Nose Goblin for the PC Engine, a, oh, a yeah. game. How did you forget that game? I listen. I don't know. I love that game. I know. I was I was going through all my great Taito games on my yeah. PC Engine shelf in my chicken coop here, and I was like, Super Long Nose Goblin. Wait a minute. 
that's Taito. It was just amazing. It's all these fantastic games, and I've spoken about this before. It's it's incredibly hilarious. You're a fox, and your girlfriend gets kidnapped. Then you open a jack in a box and get punched in the face with a boxing glove and then all of a sudden you're a bird with big japanese shoes and the super long nose goblin type of face and you use a fan to throw different types of bullets at different enemies and there's little kiwis that are in hot air balloons and then you fight these really weird crazy bosses at the end and the one i mention all the time is the mr potato head looking pro wrestler who's in front of a pro wrestling ring he's got a bandaged arm he's got the cuts on his forehead a la abdullah the butcher and he spits bullets at you that look like spit and he also bleeds bullets at you that look like blood that come out of his uh, his forehead and it's just incredibly bizarre the other big boss that of course i remember all the time is this raccoon that drinks the triple x where'd you booze. have to shoot the raccoon yeah well <laughs> he drinks the triple x booze he's got a chinese style hat that comes off and flies at you and he has this big red thing sort of in a sack shape of some sort he does have a pouch that hangs below his uh, legs and belly region and you must you know of course shoot that as well it's just a hilarious hilarious shooter i love super long nose goblin that is a game i don't think will ever come to the virtual console but you know who knows if nintendo doesn't preview these things we might see it i would i would love to see it. but you know it incorporates a lot of the things we've already seen in proteus and stuff like that but those are just i'm so jealous of you wiggly that you get to play that i wish i could do it it is an amazing game i'm sure there's ways that you could find them to play that use title. your magic antenna john that's how i played it i'm so happy that i own it and own the little sponge that holds the pc engine hue card in place that game was spongeless i'm sorry i take that back so those are just some of my trips down memory lanes of some of the great Taito games um, that I recall. What do you got for us, John? First, Taito games that uh, you know have my affection. There's like a lot that came out in the '90s and that I just loved. Mm-hmm. The first one I'd like to bring up is the Elevator Action Returns. I don't know if any of you have uh, played this. The newer, upgraded graphic version of it looks like 16-bit yeah. graphics. Yeah, it's great. It's like super stylized version of the first game, basically. It just drops you in. You get kind of like anime cutscenes and stuff in the arcade mm-hmm. version. And you can pick between one of three people who just look like complete badasses. You're <laughs> yeah, the like guy walk- with the monkey, right? There's a guy with a monkey. Yeah, guy with a mullet. Yeah. You know, there's a girl. Right. I mean, how, you know, how can you not want to play it? And uh, you, you kind of off-putting because you're shooting dogs. I was too crazy about that, but screw it. They're trying to kill you. Right. You're just going up and down. You're trying to get nuclear bombs and disarm them, I think. Mm-hmm. You just kind of go through different rooms as you get down to the bottom. And then there's a boss, I remember, on the second or third level that was awesome. That was shook. You're in like a, a shopping center or an airport. And I remember the, this uh, helicopter comes by or something. And it just shakes the whole world and all the glass shatters yeah, and stuff. Yeah, blows out the windows. Yeah, it's really a neat environment. I think I had this for the Saturn or the Dreamcast, uh, whichever one it came out for. I think the Saturn it came out for. It's just it's awesome. If you can play it, go ahead. And I mean, one thing uh, you didn't bring up too much there a few minutes ago was like, Taito tend to be, they're like the puzzle kings, you know? Mm. I love games like uh, even Crazy Balloon. Yeah, you know? those are great. Yep. Yeah. 
And who can forget Frontline? I mean, I brought up Kiki Kai Kai as a three-quarter overhead, but I think that all started with Frontline, and then we had the SNK, Akari Warriors, and things like that that came out afterwards that refined it. But I think Frontline was the precursor to this, 1982. Obviously, Puzzle Bobble, everyone loves that. Like, you know, I don't... I don't know anyone who doesn't love Puzzle Bobble. And then there was like a weird one called Chack and Pop. I don't know if either of you played sure. that. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a melded uh, stuff like that. There's one game and I can't think I can't think of it now. But you pick anime characters and it's like a mix of Breakout and Columns. Hmm. I really yeah. And you pick anime characters and like they're in the background and they're reacting to what you're doing. I really can't remember. There's a guy who looks like Wolverine and he carries like a big skeleton stick. <laughs> and uh, they shout at you and stuff. And when you're beating the other player, there's constant like waves of gems falling down, and you're throwing the ball up at it, at, like uh, Arkanoid or Breakout. And uh, when you're like kicking the arse off the other person, sorry, they're like crying and stuff, and your guys crying when you know you're losing. Uh-huh. It's really good. I'm gonna Google that Wolverine-looking guys that are anime, and you cry when you lose. I don't yeah, think I'm, I'm feeling gonna... lucky and see what comes up. <laughs> it's called Poochie Carrot. Poochie Carrot? Yeah. I never heard of it. Well, I'm going to have to check it out. Played that in Camel Tree a lot. Okay. Um, yeah, one of the first labyrinth-style marble games. Frankly, John is a big fan of uh, the Bonza Adventure. I don't know if either of you have played this. Mm-mm. It's awesome because it's a platformer, but it's kind of like you're doing your crouching tiger, hitting dragon and things, where when you jump, you float up in the air and you're dancing on top of trees and stuff. Oh, Legend of Kagi. Oh, is that it? Yes. I must be mixing them up. Yeah, I, I think you're doing a little bit of that. I think it might be... Although, Bond Adventure might be the one where you're a little fat monk. Either way, both. Go play on both. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Obviously, there's the Space Invaders. I love Space Invaders in every iteration. Even the weird one that has, like just four blocks of color on the screen to replicate the color overlay. Sure, sure. Terrible. Yeah. But uh, uh, my favorites, of course, are Super Space Invaders 91, which I just go back and listen to me on every episode. Yes. Uh, 95, because how can you not love a game where your little guy you play as is a toilet that shoots out blue turds at people? <laughs> it's too much fun that game is and I think it's kind of a, a sadly kind of forgotten game but mm-hmm. uh, then of course recently we've had Space Invaders Extreme but uh, the last game in the series that recently just kind of came out for the iPod and would be Space Invaders Infinity Gene mm-hmm. and uh, this game is outstanding have all your views played it? sure sure yes. yeah and uh, Jaden talked about it a little bit before but how do you feel about this one? Well, I loved it the minute I turned it on and it started out with a quote from Charles Darwin about yes. being acceptable to change. And at first, it threw me because I was very much used to firing with a button and not having the auto-fire. But the game more than makes up for it. And they changed to auto-fire and you can, of course, move up and down now mm-hmm. on the screen as opposed to left and right. But it still manages to retain the downward-coming invaders there are kind of scrolling levels and all, but it's awesome. And the music is great, the way it evolves. The game, you know, evolves along, depending on how you play it. I just love when you look at your family tree, so to speak, of uh, where your levels went and where you failed and where you succeeded and right. how play the game is the way it is. It's it's a true evolution of the original concept. And it's, it just goes to show that no matter how old it is, it can always be fresh if you apply the right amount of creative thought to yeah. it. 
Right on. And that goes back to what you said, Wiggly, about title. It's that they don't put out crap. It seems like, um, uh, for the most part, there was a lot of thought put behind these titles, these franchises. You know, sure. Nothing was shoveled to the shelf. Exactly. And that's not something that uh, you know other companies can say, even the top-tier ones. Exactly, exactly. When I was playing Space Invaders Infinity, Gene, I was sitting in the dark, and I was playing Space Invaders with touchscreen controls, and there was a nice vector graphics, and I literally was thinking, I am in the future of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that was cool. So what else have you been playing, John? I've been playing... Um, Total Extreme Warfare 2005, which is a uh, pro wrestling booking sim that uh, is freeware now. I think Double H2 News let everyone know about it, Dan, on the uh, We Talk Games page. Right, right. And you can download this for free, and it's like it's like a management sim, you know, like a football management sim. Sure, sure. But you said you're a booker, so you got to book your shows and book matches and feuds, like pro wrestling feuds, so... One of my favorite things to do is when a wrestler doesn't like the push he's getting, then I start burying him <laughs> and having him job out to everybody. I see. And, uh, I don't know what any of that means, but uh, being involved in a wrestling match industry. or something? Or? Yeah, oh no, I just. You can, what I do is you can make them lose in two minutes to his <laughs> clothesline. You I know, see. And then have the guy beat them down and whatever. It's weird. It actually stressed me out. So I had to have plan my pay per views and my TV shows. I have to plan them like weeks in advance and I was doing one and I built a matchup and it was about it, it, all the wrestlers in it are fictional and all the promotional all the promotions are fictional but I had this kind of ECW style promotion going I built up a pay-per-view match and the guy dropped out of the contract and went to another promotion and I got so stressed out I had to quit wow. <laughs> I was just like how dare you I, you're booked in one of my main matches and I was like maybe this is what it's like to be a booker I don't know <laughs> But, Probably um, more real it, than you think. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's free. You know, you can go. I think it's like a EWRBattleground.com. You can get it there and play it for free. And there's a way of modding it so you can play with all your real promotions like Chikara and stuff. I see. But I have no idea how to make it work. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Dan knows, but he tried to explain it to me through Facebook status uh, <laughs> thing, and I just didn't get it. The last game I started playing today because I opened up, I got the game room thing for the Xbox. Uh-huh, yep. And I was playing some Yars Revenge. And, yes. Uh, Yars Revenge is one of my favorite games because it's so ambiguous and it really makes me... <laughs> it feels like a game in the future, you know? It feels like a game that people would think that people in the future would be playing back in 1970. You know, <laughs> I got lost in there, but it's definitely the first title I picked up for my arcade. No doubt about that, because, hey, who doesn't want to be a, a bug looking spaceship that has to go and eat parts of a breakout block protection force field yeah. and lay from crawl, which fires itself out. <laughs> yeah. at you. Yes, it's really it's you really bizarre. Mish- rainbow in that game before the campaign pitch. <laughs> it is a real mishmash of different things happening, but it all works. Oh, yeah. uh, had some great great cover art as well. That I would have loved to have instead of Journey for the Atari. <laughs> <laughs> right. The thing I love about it is it doesn't really hold your hand. It's you uh-huh. lose and then numbers come up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's just like this humming in the background. It's I love it. It's awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I think there was a Yars Revenge comic as well. I think it yeah, was part of it. yeah, it was part of that Atari Age uh, comic book 
release. So, hey, you know, when you get a comic book with your game, you know it's good. Sure. Yeah, it's, I remember uh, I was had a big conversation about Yara's Revenge one time with a friend of mine. We were talking, like, for all we know, this is the boss battle at the end of a major war, you know? Oh, right. And Yars has had to fight his way up to the radiation belt, and now he's he's got no weapons left, so he has to eat the castle away, for, you know? And then the nuke comes in. For all you know, that's going to be... It's just so ambiguous. It's so brilliant. And just It's only 240 points as well, which right. is a steal. Just get it. Right on. Well, let's take a step aside and... Just briefly visit the PSP. And the reason I want to vis- visit the PSP is I, because I think as far as portable gaming goes, the PSP is the console that is the portable version of what the Wii Virtual Console is. The Wii Virtual Console, we get real ROMs of these great older video games for us to relive, replay, and, and have fun with legitimately. And I think the PSP is a portable system where if you want to play legitimate old school games, both arcade and console games, you can do it on your PSP the best compared to all the other portable gaming devices, which is the DS, uh, <laughs> right? So, uh, But there are little systems. I just saw uh, legitimate Genesis systems that came out now as portable devices, not the Nomad, but these are licensed game systems that have, you know, like 20 or 40 Genesis titles built in, and plus you can stick Genesis cartridges in these as well, and they, they sell for around $50. But as as far as a real, legitimate, portable system, the PSP, really, starting with Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins, I think that sold tons of systems to people interested in retro gaming. And this is a retelling of it, but with everything that made the first Ghosts and Goblins, or Ghouls and Ghosts, if you will, uh, such a hit. Also, Mega Man Powered Up was another title that really brought a lot of retro game attention to the PSP. And then we had Dracula, Castlevania Dracula X, we had Darkstalkers, we had Gradius Portable, we had Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast, which John's talked about, I've talked about. Space Invaders Extreme and Space Invaders Evolution came out for that, going with the Taito's theme. And after Afterburner, remake of Afterburner. So if you loved the older consoles and and retro-style gaming, you had great remakes released for the PSP. And we also got a lot of great pack titles of arcade games. Well, even console games like Activision Hits Remixed, which... Uh. You know, it brings you your Activision games. No, you didn't like it? Oh, I love it. Okay. One of my favorites. It's the game I oh, got good. with my PSP. Oh, fantastic. But, you know, it brings you your Activision games, which some of them are great, some of them are not, but they're all in the old Atari style. But the really neat thing about how they embellished upon this is that you have a 1980s soundtrack that goes on in back of you. So you get your Kaja Goo Goo and all that type of stuff going on in back of uh, playing these games. And they set it up with a neat little interface as well. With the, I think you have the cartridge system there and, and stuff like that. Yeah, unlock the advertisements from the TV. Yeah, unlock the TV advertisements. Exactly. So, you know, that's that's awesome, and it's legitimate. Sega also have released their Mega Drive or Genesis collection for, for this, so you can play those games legitimately. And when we go into the arcades, we have Capcom Classic Collection, remixed and reloaded, pending, I guess, on, on what you have. And those have... Fantastic games like Strider, Captain Commando, Black Tiger, 
1942, 1944, 1945, 1940 X, all those types of games. Ghosts and Goblins, uh, King of Dragon, Street Fighter, and things like that in a collection. Of course, Namco Museum came out as well. But there's two games that I really want to just touch on very briefly. And, and now, are any of those titles available for the PSP Go, Kyle? There's all sorts of downloads. I really didn't get it too deep into it. Like I said, I, I barely use the thing. Yeah, well... It's time for you to jump in because you have yeah, to, I know. you have to pick up the PSP Go review section of the show because I, like I, I can't got get burned. Me. That's why uh, I'm just shunned right now. You feel like you were more committed to the PSP Go than Sony was. Yeah, and I'll, you know what? <laughs> I'll take a picture of me and my disdain with the <laughs> PSP Go and post it on WeTalkGames.com. Awesome. <laughs> well, add to that list of great remakes and rethinkings and emulation of your old systems a giant battleship fighting fish game is approaching darius burst now this is only available in japan right now but hopefully it'll make it across the shore or maybe as downloadable content it'll be great but this continues the horizontal shooter in the darius line style of 3d but maintaining the darius 2d feel you still have one Shot that goes out and bombs that go down and your cutter on top, which I still haven't figured out what you use the cutter for, but maybe one day I will figure that out. It's much like the PS2 and PS1 Darius releases. And I've always been a fan of the Darius series, uh, like I mentioned when I brought up the PC Engine and the Super Graphics as well. The Darius games always really appeal to me. One, because the arcade version, the soundtrack is outstanding. Mm -hmm. And once again, in in Darius Burst, the soundtrack is great as well. There's kind of a girl singing over the first level, and she's talking about closing your hands. It doesn't matter. It's awesome. I don't know why I'm fighting fish, but I do know I want those fish to die. (laughs) Yes. But... uh, those games are awesome, and then you got other games as well, like Metal Black, that were just these really great Taito shooters back in the day. And I think what was kind of cool was Taito seemed to figure out how to make it look like there was a cylinder revolving around the screen all the time. The background might look like you're inside a cylinder, uh-huh. and uh, there's like things revolving, and the background is revolving and coming towards you. And they used that a lot, and I like that effect a lot in those two games. Right, right. A really, really great title. In fact, it's the first PSP UMD I ever bought, and I can honestly say that. And believe it or not, the U.S. release of Taito Legends Power Up actually has more games than the Japanese release version. And this is a great compilation of original arcade Taito machines, as well as some rethought, remade versions of them. The remade versions are sort of just reskinned, and they take advantage of the full dimensions of the screen. But it's a really nice compilations of early Taito games, and it sort of draws on the two PS2 releases that they had of compilations. But on this, you can play Space Invaders, Space Invaders 2, Space Chaser, all those were missing off the Japanese version. Crazy Balloon, as you mentioned, there's also a remake of the Crazy Balloon on there. Balloon Bomber, a game that I think is still one of the most playable titles from that time, the time of Space Invaders, which is Lunar Rescue. And Lunar Rescue employed that colored sticker that was over top of the the standard white on black raster graphics uh, that you were mentioning there, John. Lunar Rescue is a really neat game that combines sort of Lunar Lander and Space Invaders in that you have these three landing 
pads down below. Sometimes the pads will go anywhere from 50 extra points to 100 extra points and down at the lower level 150 extra points. And there's a whole lines of horizontally moving spaceships that are in your way, alien crafts of sorts. And the planets down below, and there's little people that you have to rescue. Defender took a lot from this this original title because even some of the sounds that are made in this earlier release are used in Defender. You're up above in a mothership, and then you decide when you want to release your ship. As you're coming down to the surface to land on one of these three landing pad areas, you can control your throttle to sort of slow you down a bit so you don't run into all these craft that are going across the screen horizontally. Once you land, the little dude gets in your ship, and now you have to try to rescue him and take him back up to the mothership. And as you go up, the alien craft are firing down at you now, like space invaders or something, and you can fire up at them and destroy them. And as you hold down the fire button, if you hold it down, your spaceship will go faster as you hold it down. Just based on the play mechanics, it's still playable today, even though the, the graphics are very, very basic. Phoenix, which didn't come out for Japan. Kicks, which I love. I don't know how you guys feel about Kicks. Oh, Kicks cool. is great. In fact, the title released the cabinet, I think, that plays both Kicks and Space Invaders, the originals. I see. Um, very similar to how Namco did the Pac-Man uh, and Miss Pac-Man Ms. and Galaga. Right, right. Yeah, those yeah. anniversary editions. Sure. Space Dungeon, Alpine Ski, Elevator Action, as we mentioned, uh, the original, which is great still game. great. You know, it's still great yeah. to play that. The, somehow the, the jumping physics, when you sort of jump and it's almost in slow motion, it's just, I don't know, it's it's a neat little feeling. That was uh, done on purpose to make it more dramatic. Sure, yeah. It's like you're slow motion jumping. Crack like and John pop. Woo. Exactly. <laughs> Chack and Pop, Legend of Kage, which also has a remake. The Fairyland Story... Absent from this collection are anything dealing with Bub and Bob, including the original Bubble Bobble. But Fairyland Story is sort of like a precursor to that. You're a little witch that turns your enemies into cupcakes, I think. And then you have to push your cupcaked enemies off of one of the platforms. And if you push them on to other enemies, you'll get gold coins that you collect and things like that. So it's a neat little game that's a little more challenging than Bubble Bobble. Because in Bubble Bobble, when you encapsulate one of your opponents, in a bubble you just run into them and then they go flying but in this one you actually have to push them off of something so although you can cupcake your opponents to like stun them on the bottom level you really can't do anything with them down there you have to make sure that they chase you up to the higher levels of the platforms to push them off the return of the invaders which was just really an updated version of space invaders not the ones that we've talked about kiki kai kai rastin saga curry kinton new zealand story which i know is one of john's favorites yeah look at that oh you do yeah. Which one don't you like? Sega's Kiwi inspired Flicky. Flicky. Oh yeah, that that's a, like that's Flicky. That's not a Kiwi. That's a, some type of chicken, I guess. Yeah, I don't mind the New Zealand story. It's fine. Okay, very good. <laughs> Ramius, which I can never pr- pronounce, but that's sort of like a beefed up version of Space Chaser. I, I think Space Chaser is missing from the the American release. That might be the only one that is missing. But then you have Ramius, which blows that away because you have power ups in there as well. That's sort of like a head-on maze type of cars are coming towards you in one direction. You try to go around the maze in the other direction and hope that you don't hit. But this one, you can get power-ups like a shield and shooting bullets at people and things like this. Also, Camel Try, as we mentioned before, and no one knows how to pronounce because it's real weird to put those two words together. 
So, what a great array of titles that you could get legitimately on your PSP or PSP Go if that came out for that. You know what? This is getting me too excited. We got to get Japan on the line right now because I can't take it anymore. Go get him, Tiger. Send Sambas on my regards. Right on, guys. Okay, I'm hanging up with you. I'm getting on the line. Uh, TT's going to help me connect. Stay on the line. I'll talk to you later in the council. Bye. Peace. Bye. All right, here we go. This is uh, quite official uh, compared to what we're usually used to here. Let me just put the number in. Maybe, maybe I press 9 for an outside line or something. Let me try. Followed by the pound sign. Keith, any ideas here? Let me press 2 2. No, you are doing it incorrectly. Followed by the pound sign. Oh my, I don't want that. No. Access code Hello, United States calling. This is Wiggly from We Talk Games. Yukiharu Sanbei-san, are you there? Today we are here, the three persons, including myself, uh, and Scott-san, and also uh, attractive lady Ikta-san. So, uh, <laughs> So, how shall we start? Let's start at the beginning, and thank you so very much for being a part of We Talk Games. You know, we've been fortunate to have been able to speak with many of the key people behind the birth of the video game industry. We've mostly heard about the beginnings of video games and arcade games from the California and Chicago area, and how sometimes passion and creativity played a more important role than understanding the blossoming technology of the time. I'm very interested in hearing about what the gaming industry was like in Japan in 1979 and how you began your career in video games. Uh-huh. I uh, joined Taito Corporation in 1979. And uh, that, that is uh, before the year of 1979, Space Invader was a big hit. And I felt anything is possible uh, on a video game. At that time, game creators did everything like hardware, programming, graphics, and sound also. I was an engineer all that time, a hardware engineer, and I did uh, many kinds of hardware, programming, also graphics, sound, everything on that time. I see. And, and approximately in 1981, after I experienced many jobs, I promoted as a game developing manager. So on that time, we had uh, three managers. And one guy was focused on the sound team, and the other guy focused on the graphics. And I was focused on the hardware system. These three managers also directed game development. And I directed more than 30 games from 1980 to 1990, like uh, Rustan, uh, Frontline, uh, Operation Wolf, Alkanoid, uh, Bubble Bob, and Darius, and so on. Wow, those are some amazing and diverse titles. Now, you came to the company one year after the release of the groundbreaking Space Invaders. In the United States, Space Invaders would help propel arcades into the pop culture, and shooters became the most popular genre of games for years to follow. 
And in later years, Taito would once again sway American gaming habits with the Puzzle Bobble Bust a Move series. But one of the compelling elements of the original Space Invaders was the manner in which the primitive sounds available at the time were used to create a very dramatic gaming experience. Taito was also tied to music from the very beginnings of the company in the form of leasing jukeboxes in the 1950s and 60s. And this leads me to something that most of our audience may not be familiar with, but was a very popular and successful invention in Japan, network karaoke. Can you briefly explain your home network karaoke? So as you mentioned, uh, Taito sold the jukebox and in 1980, and I also started a karaoke business uh, in 1980. At the time, uh, karaoke began as uh, bar entertainment, uh, like uh, we call it uh, business youth karaoke. And uh, on that time, uh, high-end karaoke system were based on Pioneer laser disc system. Sure. Pioneer was the king of karaoke system at the time. And uh, in 1992, I invented a net, net karaoke system. And soon, more than half of the LaserDisc karaoke system were replaced by my network karaoke. I worked with a, a company with, uh, called Ensonic, which is located in Philadelphia and introduced their sound technology. In 1995, I directed Taito's home network karaoke business. This system uses analog telephone line. And uh, Antonix technology is combined also. We sold more than 200,000 home karaoke sets, and tens of thousands of sets are still working today. I used Ensonic sampler keyboards, Ensonic EPS 16 Plus, so I'm quite familiar with their product. Oh, really? Uh, I worked with uh, Vice President of uh, Mr. Albert Charpentier. He was also uh, the created the Commodore 64 video check. Oh, wow. For <laughs> that, yes. So he, maybe he's also a well-known engineer <laughs> in this environment, I believe. You mentioned that you have Ensonic, and uh, are you still using that Ensonic? I believe the Ensonic is uh, much absorbed by the, some other companies, and but are they still that kind of equipment still exists in the United States market? Well, the first Insonic keyboard I used was the Mirage, which was more of just a traditional synthesizer. And then we started working on the ESQ-1, which was one of the first sampling keyboards. And then in uh, 1990, we finally got the Insonic EPS-16+, Plus, which was a very affordable sequencer stereo sampling keyboard for its time. And I also know that Insonic made a lot of sound cards. And I know that they came out with a lot of keyboard workstations after that, but by 1998, I was already using virtual studios on my Mac, and by 2000, I'd completely switched over to eMagic's Logic, which then later Apple bought out. And I think Insonic was acquired by Creative Technologies. And yes, they were from Malvern, Pennsylvania. It's very close, and I remember in the early days, we would share our sample libraries. We would create sounds and then share our libraries with Insonic user groups across the country. And although there are a lot of keyboard workstations that you see in the music stores nowadays, mostly everyone has switched over to PCs or Macs, and they're using some type of software studio suite.
We worked many years on that time. I stayed in the United States for more than a month to develop the sound system with Ensonic on that time anyway. I could talk about music forever, so thank you for indulging me. Taito games are instantly recognizable, and they are all very solid games. Elevator Action, Jungle Hunt, Bust a Move, Space Invaders, Operation Wolf, many of the titles that you've already mentioned, and some of the early Nintendo Famicom cartridges like, like Panic Restaurant and Bubble Bobble Series demand high prices at public auction sites. Even after Taito became part of the Square Enix family, it still maintained its original identity. It's obvious to me, Taito is more about creating a quality experience than worrying about other market competitors. What is the Taito ethic when developing video games? Taito supplies surprises and delight. Uh, video games are one form of ex- expression. Taito is focusing on the arcade, arcade game and also mobile entertainment business. Uh, as you anything is possible on the arcade. If necessary, we introduce the latest technologies, sensors, cameras, and, and so on. It is obvious that uh, some categories of home console games will be replaced by mobile games. New technologies makes this happen. I see, but what is it that makes the Taito brand so special? Every creator and every engineer are really eager to make customers surprised and delighted. It's really so. So the, all the engineers and creators are looking for the new, new kind of things every day. Maybe that is the energy to, for the new creation of Taito's product, I believe. I see, I see. You are the chief technology officer, and do you mostly focus on portable entertainment, like the iPhone games? Uh, and I am uh, acting as a CTO, not only for arcade, but for uh, the mobile games, and sometimes for home console games. And I really trying to uh, find uh, new business, including the new technologies. I that see. is my job uh, today. In a relatively recent release, Space Invaders Infinity Gene was an amazing retelling of the Space Invaders mythology. Can you tell us about how the concept of evolving and adapting became a part of that title? Uh, this game was created by uh, my colleagues, uh, Mr. Uh, Reike Ishida. He mentioned that the concept is based on the respect of Space Invaders and, uh, and its influence. In fact, every five years, uh, Taito released kind of ev- evolved space invaders. Uh, unfortunately, some of them did not make great uh, business, uh, and others were very successful, like uh, Infinity G. A few years back, one of my favorite import items had to be the little cell phone accessories that featured one of the most awesome team-ups of all time, Hello Kitty and Space Invaders. How did the merging of those two icons come about? Uh, the Hello Kitty is a very good character, I believe. And, yes, I have heard that uh, the mobile strap is, strap is uh, distributed, which was combined the Hello Kitty and Space Invader on that time. But today, uh, we do not uh, any collaboration with Hello Kitty. Today. I see. But we also doing many collaboration, like uh, 
Namco Pac-Man or kind of mobile phone like of Nokia. Okay. Sometimes uh, the, we developed a Pac-Man on the Impeda, maybe uh, was years ago sometimes. And we also worked with Nokia no, and developed Nokia Impeda on that time, maybe uh, five or six years ago. So we always looking for the good collaborations. Oh, very good. Now, as fun as Space Invaders Infinity Gene and Space Invaders Extreme are, there's a title that brings levity to the Space Invaders series. It is a game that comes up around the We Talk Games water cooler on a daily basis. And that is Space Invaders 95, Attack of the Lunar Loonies. What are your thoughts on this title? In fact, I am not so familiar. I just have that name and some of the graphics of that game. But as I mentioned, every five years we released evolved Space Invaders game. I see. Uh, and uh, including the Space Invaders 95. And I believe Space Invaders gene are still alive inside our brand, I believe. I I guess that explains why we haven't seen many re-releases of that title. Is there anything that you can tell us about future releases that you are excited about or the current direction of Taito? As I mentioned earlier, that the title will focus on the arcade game and the mobile game business. And arcade has many possibilities, I believe. It can introduce many new things that cannot be experienced on a home console. The technology keyword of new arcade is uh, next generation human interface systems. Engineers and creators are working to introduce this uh, concept into new development. Is that realized in such games as Hopping Road? Oh, you know that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes, uh, that is uh, one kind of game, and that is focused on the, not only adults but for children, and that also uh, generates a new kind of customers, I believe. And it is easy to study to play. Did you have any involvement with the Elevator Action series? The original one was I was involved, and my colleagues and my uh, best friend of the time developed the elevator action. That was more than 25 years ago, I believe. It's still a fun game to play, and we, we also look hope for a return of that title. I know that it was uh, recently released as uh, a, a shooting gun game with uh, Death Parade. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, you mentioned the latest version of those Elevator Desperate, yes. Elevator Desperate, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get involved on that, but uh, it's also a big game. Is it possible to see the United States that kind of game today? Yes, um, most of our arcades only have a very few video games, uh, but many of them are sh gun games, also uh, sit-down networked racing games. And maybe you know that if compared with Japanese arcade business market and uh, United States market, as you know, the Japanese market is very big. It's more than two times bigger uh, than home console game of Japan. Wow. And unfortunately, the United States is very small on arcade. But maybe you know that China is getting very big, the arcade business is getting very big. So we are focusing Japanese market, uh, of course the United States market, and also China market. Very good. 
Sambe-san, thank you very much for joining us on We Talk Games. Thank you very much. It's my, it's our pleasure. Bye bye. Wow, what an honor. Big thanks to Taito for allowing us this opportunity for the interview, despite language barriers. And by language barriers, I mean my inability to speak Japanese or English. But it's truly something special for We Talk Games. All right, Keith, let's hear from the youth of our country. Let's get Kirby on the line. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minnie Kirby. Hi, everybody. Minnie Kirby, what you got for us, man? Well, t- Today, I have a rather interesting game. Two I'd like to talk about okay, very good. this time. The first one, now I'm sure you've all played or at least heard of what's known as a tower defense game. Mm-hmm. You build your towers and guys come at you and the guys get shot by your towers. You get more resources to build bigger and better towers. Yes. Well, this one, it's available on the Xbox Live Arcade for $10. It's called Defense Grid. Oh, it's okay. one of the most interesting tower defense games I've ever come across. It's uh, developed by Hidden Path Studios. And it's quite interesting. You know, most tower defense games, dudes just come at you in a straight line, and it's very, it's like two-dimensional, it's very cartoony. In this, the graphics are very advanced, and it's quite strategic. There are some levels where enemies kind of go in a straight path, but there are other levels where you build the towers around the grid itself to try to make the longest path for them to go through. Oh, right, right. So you kind of set up the own path on some of the levels. And there actually is a story to this one. It's it's not like, you know, award-winning or anything, but basically it's this old rundown planet and you are an ambiguous force sent to try to reawaken this planet's defenses to try to stop aliens from grabbing these power cores that are powering the defenses. I see. Yeah, I played a game very similar as it was called Defense Grid. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's probably the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering why I remember being able to modify my maze that the people have to go through, and that's because this was a a game I I demoed a bit ago, so that's what this was all about. That's cool. Great. Now we know a little bit more about it. Yep, I tried the demo, and I I was hooked. Something about it is just really enthralling, and I got into it, and it's very fun. It lasts me about 10 hours, Mm. give or take. There's 20 maps in the core game, plus an extra bonus four maps that you get for free now since the game's been out for a while. Okay. Not just, you know, you beat it, you're done. Each map has several different challenge modes that you go through. Sometimes there is only one core, and once the enemy gets that, they're gone. Normally there's about 15 or so. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. And there's also what's known as grinder levels, where normally there's certain, it shows you certain waves of people that you have to defend against. In these grinder levels, as you can imagine, there's infinite waves. I think it goes up to 99. So it's, it's quite a challenge. And grinders, I guess, because it's like layers of a hoagie. Yeah, of course. Very good. It's really cool. I, I highly recommend it. It's available for $10 on the Xbox Live Arcade, like I mentioned before. And Now, that's a little steep for a tower defense game, but you say that this is a little bit different. And people can demo it, so there you go. I mean, yeah, you go to Newgrounds or whatever, and you play just your cheap little Flash game or everything, but this is way more in-depth and strategic, and it actually forces you to use your noggin sometimes to think about what you got to do. What else we got? Another thing that I'd like to talk about. It's been out for a while now, but it's it hops off of this new craze. I don't know if you've seen it in the drive-in or anything. It's called Star Wars. I think I heard of that. Everybody just loves it. Uh, you can go down there with your El Camino and uh, watch it for about five bits. It's odd that they call it Star Wars Episode Four. I don't understand. Where are the first three episodes? 
I don't know. They just kind of, I guess they for, they lost them or something, mm. and then they had to be, ah, we'll just get rid of the ending here. Yeah, well, let's hope they never find them. That's all I can say about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they're never going to be found again. Okay. But uh, the game I'd like to talk about, it's called Star Wars The Force Unleashed. Right on. Now, I played this on my PSP, so I know a little bit about it. And I'm glad we're talking about it now, because now you could probably get it a little bit more on the cheaper side. Yeah, it's pretty cheap at uh, GameStop. I saw you can get a new copy for around $20. Oh, that's great. And the Wii version is probably a little bit cheaper than that. Cause probably I like that wasn't a dollar. Great. Yeah, probably a dollar. With the Wii Motion controls. Well, I don't know. They got that plus, Wii Motion Plus now, so it might be a little bit better. Uh, no, it's not backwards compatible. Yeah, You have to build oh. the game to incorporate that plus, so it's oh, a minus. Yeah, way to go, Nintendo. Let <laughs> me get a hands-on your system three years after it's out. <laughs> right. But The Force Unleashed takes place between the missing Episode 3 and Episode 4 to try to kind of show how Darth Vader became this big, badass dude that rules the universe. Mm-hmm. And the main story follows the character known as Starkiller. They don't ever mention his name in the game itself, but in the novels, his, known, his name is Galen Merrick. Okay, gotcha. Generic Star Wars name. And in the first level of the game, you play as Vader on uh, the Wookiee homeworld of Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk, Kashyyyk, however you say it. Kashyyyk, And you yeah. kill Starkiller's dad, and you adopt him, and he trains Starkiller to become his own personal assassin. And the first few levels of the game, you go through and you undermine the Emperor's you know, activities, because tr- the whole goal of Vader is to try to kill the Emperor so he could be the new Emperor. And eventually, you go down this heroic path, and you choose... At the very end of the game, there's a light side and a dark side path. But up until that point, there's not really a whole lot. You just kind of, it's very linear. It's pretty cool, though. You go to multiple different planets. You fight a whole bunch of different types of enemies. You can throw star stormtroopers. You, you cough, and you can wipe out a whole room of star stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, following you throughout the game is a homicidal training droid that's trying to kill you throughout the entire time. You fight Rancors, the big giant space monsters. You fight members of the Jedi Council. At one point, you even bring down an Imperial Star Destroyer. Which is just awesome, I guess. Which is, albeit very annoying, but it's really, really cool when you can pull it off. It's really, really fun. If you've ever wanted to just go nuts with the Force and see all the crazy things you can do, I know the word epic is severely overused, Mm -hmm. but the boss fights in this game, that's really the only word that can describe them. And also, I think this is one of the few games that actually does quick-time events the right way. It makes them a core part of the gameplay, not just something that throws at you randomly. Mm-hmm. Whenever you fight a boss, you get its health down to a certain level, then there's a series of quick-time events that leads to an amazing, you know, flashy finish. And it's really, really cool. And I guess that sort of ties in with, if you would have to employ the Force, you might have to use some different techniques that might consist of button presses, but no. But, I mean, it, you know, it's some, it's sort of some type of, I don't know, it, it fits. It sort of fits more than other yeah, things. Yeah, it does. There, there are several different powers you can get. You can get force lightning, force push. You can throw your lightsaber like a boomerang. You can make a lightning shield around yourself. And the lightsaber combat itself is pretty cool. Although there's only one type of saber. You can't dual wield them. You can't get the staff or anything like that. But, and there are a couple DLCs that are out for it now. One following your character as he goes to the remains of the Jedi Temple to try to find more inter- more information on your character's father. And there's a second one that follows your character going to the ice planet Hoth, which I think is in Episode 5. Oh, I just scared and my... try to track down my... and kill a young Luke Skywalker. You see, I just pooped my pants when that, my Jedi Maker went off. Oh, jeez. I was trying so. to figure out my uh, my Jedi name. It's Chewy Payass. 
and my uh, Sith name is Darth Wigpak Isqui. Oh, that'll, I'm sure that'll inspire fear in the rebellion. Right on. Now let me generate yours. Hold on one moment. All right, here we go. Your Jedi name is Leoki Schmin, and your new Sith name is Darth Kirsch Minelki. I got sort of a Jewish Asian thing going on. <laughs> yeah. Here. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? That's that's with the Jedi Maker available for your Mac. I don't know if they made that for PC or not, but pretty interesting. So yeah, back back to before I pooped my pants when I heard that noise. You move to a tropic island, and uh, Darth Vader is your dad, and he teaches you how to fish. Is that what happened? Yep, you're fishing. You're sitting there on the beach. You get all sorts of tropical drinks and apple teenies and. Very good. You got a sexy Wookiee servant there. You force some coconuts off the trees to float down the river. Oh, yeah, that's in the tutorial right there. That's how they show you how to use it. Is that it for Jedi Adventure? Yep, that's pretty much it. Like I said before, it's available for around $20 because it's been out for about a year a year or two now. And it's really, really cool. If you haven't picked it up yet, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a Star Wars nerd like I am. Mm-hmm. And try not to think about too much about why in the movies it takes... Luke, a half hour to move the lightsaber across the room, and in this one, you can cough and wipe out an entire room full of people. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Kirby. Now, you know with these Star Wars games, the non-hexagonal games, which I think are always very solid, but with these first-person Star Wars games, when they first come out, we get them and we think, this is amazing, this looks great, I'm doing an awesome job, I'm forcing around, I'm blocking bullets with my lightsaber, I'm doing all this great stuff, I feel like I'm a Jedi. But then after a couple months, we're like, you know what? This really isn't that great. So how does the longevity of this Force Unleashed hold up? Well, I've had it since it came out, which is, uh, I think, in the fall of 2008. And I'm still having fun with it. Okay, very good. Very good. So that that's good to know. It always... still keeps your interest. Okay, awesome. Because, you know, if you try to go back to those ones for the N64, it's like, ugh. Yeah, like the Jedi Knight and Jedi Outcast and stuff. I had a blast with those. And then the FMV ones on the PlayStation. Never had a PlayStation myself. Oh, wow. Okay, very good. I'm good one of the few. I, I, I went from Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64. Ah, I see, I see. Well, you got to get yourself one of those PS1s. Join the 20th century. Okay, talk to you later, Kirby. Thanks, man. All right, see you, man. Bye. Yes, Kirby. All right, Keith. Hey, you know what? Hey, this is something special here. Keith. Let's get Rachel Moore on the line, our gold star correspondent. Open it up. San Francisco! Go! Rachel Moore, welcome to We Talk Games. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you. And now, as you know, and many of our listeners all know, that we recently acquired Video Power Magazine. And with their pool, I guess we were able to get you to appear on We Talk Games. Yeah, well, actually, it was Stinky. I met him at WonderCon Stinky? just a few weeks ago. Yeah, and he was totally dressed up like a fire hydrant, passing out like these pamphlets for some local bar or something. I don't know. <laughs> Stinky as a plug, passing out tracks. Well, I can sort of understand that. I just don't know where he got the money to be able to be jet-setting around. The, I mean, we, this acquisition. I didn't just see him in trouble, did I? Well, uh, fortunately, he's he's down in the basement making a sandwich, or else. Uh, but I'm gonna have to try to take this up with him uh, if he shows up here. Nonetheless, well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Now, Rachel, you do a bang up job in all the little projects. I mean, you have, geez, you have more projects going on than I do. I think uh, <laughs> I do have a lot. Yes, and the great thing about you now, if you do a search for Wiggly in Google. I come up like third, 
But, you know, I got the Wiggles, who I'm, there's still litigation going on about that that are before me. And I think, like, the definition of what Wiggly is. So I'm like the third Wiggly, but you were the first Rachel. <laughs> so that's right. pretty, yeah, it's pretty amazing. That, that's truly an accomplishment, I think, your sizing in Google. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Rachel, how did you get your start in video games? What, what are some of your first video game memories? Oh, man, I've been playing since the Atari 2600. Okay. My dad bought it for himself and had no idea that I was going to just completely take it over, so I did. And I've I've been playing ever since. Okay, here's here's a quiz for you. Name this oh, game. Okay, that could be pretty much any Atari game. That totally sounds like a hockey game. <laughs> it's actually Spider-Man. Oh, but it's been a while I since I played it. I was a pitfall player. Oh, pitfall. Okay, yeah. Uh, that let's was see. my game back uh, then. Like that was my favorite. I think I can imitate that. Ready? You know what I'm doing there? I'm running into a log and going back and forth over it. <laughs> when you just you would bang on a stick to go back and forth and just be stuck in that log. Right. All right. Well, jumping yeah. across the alligators. While their mouths were closed, so you wouldn't get eaten. Right. But then, you know, you had to jump when they they were open and try to land on the eyes at some points. That's true. Or you can swing across the vine. Yeah. Yeah. That That's was good my stuff. game. That's good stuff. What type of systems are you playing now? All different types. Well, what's, what's your favorite uh, system? Of all time? Um... I usually say the Dreamcast. Ah, fantastic. Well, that gets a lot of airtime on this show, no doubt about that. That game was just so, like, before its time, and it mm. introduced so much into the gaming world that we use now. Yeah. So it, it played a huge part in really changing gaming for the better. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, this this is this is sort of a litmus test, and I, I don't know, you know, if you don't pass, you're still going to be number one, Rachel. So it doesn't really matter. But I'm just asking, did you have the link cable to hook up your Neo Geo Pocket to your Dreamcast? I didn't. I didn't get a Neo Geo until later, actually. Okay, well, no problem. I know. No points lost, really. I, I just Googled you, and you're still number one, so uh, that, that's fine. <laughs> I had the link of cable to hook up my um, my GameCube to my Game Boy Advance. Oh, that's good. Now, did you, anything. <laughs> yeah, did you did you do the uh, Animal Crossing one on that? Oh, of course. Yeah. And uh, Four Swords. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Very good, very good. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's something that we were hoping for more of, especially out of the PS3. I was hoping that, okay, you're going to be able to do your plays on your PSP and then control your guys running around in football or something. Yeah, they really? like they toyed with that, I thought, at first. They were like, oh, it's going to be able to happen. Yeah. But kind of like with a lot of <laughs> peripheral type of stuff Sony does, yes. it just never happens yeah yeah i i think that's going to be a recurring theme on today's show about sony's uncommitment yeah yeah they definitely have an uncommitment when your customers are more committed to your the product than you are then uh then you have trouble yeah now, what have you been playing lately anything what's going on with you um yeah i've been toying around in uh just cause two a bit oh i see now what system have you tried this out for Oh, 360. Okay. I get those achievements. Ah, yes. It, what, what's what's wrong with the trophies in PS3? Why why aren't they as desirable as achievements are? 
I, I think one, you know, Xbox did it first. PS3 is trying to jump on that bandwagon. Mm. And again, they just did not deliver. It seems like they don't know the magic <laughs> behind these things. They're just, they're trying. They can't get the magic. Right. Um, I think it's really the gamer score has a lot to do with it. And the overall delivery of achievements on the 360 is so much more streamlined, much more available, just so much easier and more fun to get than trophies. When I get a trophy, it's like, yeah, I got a trophy, but it's just kind of like a pat on the back. When I get achievement, I feel like I really accomplished something, and I I'm see. proud of myself. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is either. It's it's kind of weird. But then again, I, I happen to be more favoring my, my PS3 pretty much because of the underdog syndrome, I guess. Although, why should I feel pity for Sony? Yeesh. Yeah. Uh, so on this game, now, I, I tried this, I demoed this out for the PS3 because I was uh, I was kind of hot for this game. It looked kind of interesting. But I really don't understand what's going on. I mean, I, I played the demo, I don't know, maybe four or five times. And I remember I jumped out of a helicopter and then I was swinging around on it like a goof. And then I jumped down <laughs> and I shot at some people and then they killed me. And I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm jumping off of trees. I don't know what's going on. I'm getting coconuts. I don't. Be- <laughs> Everything you just did is the whole game. Like the oh. demo, you play this game for five minutes, you've played the whole game. It's a big open world game where you can just go run around, blow up stuff, and shoot people. It is fun, but there's really nothing to it. There's no actual game to it. No mission structure, no good story. It's a little bit too much open world and not enough structure. I see, I see. So, now I did notice that when I really started blowing stuff up, then I don't know what happened, hyper mode or something. I, I know that I was getting points. I, well, I don't mm-hmm. know if there was a score or anything, but I know it was rewarding me for being very destructive. Yeah, well, that's another thing is if you don't want to go running around and taking advantage of the open worldness, you're not going to get far in the game because the points that you were getting were points to unlock the story missions, ah. which still, even the story missions, I it's hard to call them story missions because they really don't have much story. It kind of forces you to waste time blowing stuff up. If you just want to stick to the story, that's impossible because you, you do have to unlock the story missions by getting points, by blowing stuff up. Um, and it takes a lot. Like, maybe I spent two hours running around blowing stuff up before I finally unlocked one story mission. It's kind of gratifying, though, uh, hitting some type of compressed gas canister and seeing it go up into the sky. Oh, yeah, it is. But after three or four hours of <laughs> yeah. doing, seeing that same canister blow up, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of like, okay, I need a little bit more of something. Yeah, I understand. Rather just randomness than yeah. it is. I mean, it is a good game, but... Again, I, I have a hard time calling it a game because there really isn't much game to it. It's just do stuff. I guess it's create your own adventure that you really don't have a lot of creative powers to create. Right, yeah. <laughs> very yeah. good, very good. <laughs> if you want a good open world game with story and mission structure, I would say go with Saints Row 2 or Crackdown. Okay. What are you looking forward to? Like, Is anything on the horizon that really has piqued your interest? Oh, there's so much coming out this year. There's Fable 3, Crackdown 2, Alan Wake, Alan Wake Super Mario something. Galaxy 2. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard of Alan Wake. What's that about? Alan Wake is this game that's been in development. I think I remember seeing it at E3 2005. So it's been in development forever. And it's taken a bunch of different turns about what it's going to be about. But so far, kind of locked down. It's supposed to be out May 18th, my birthday. 
it's this writer who has writer's block, so he has to go to like this cabin in the woods to kind of free open his his writer's block. And I think his wife goes missing or something, so he goes to try to find her. And the stuff from his books, which are scary books, are starting to come true. So it has a lot of light that mm. it plays into. You like a flashlight, and you kill monsters with light. Oh, All see. different ways that you can use light to kill them and stuff. But it's looking really, really interesting. Sounds cool. Crackdown 2. You know, Crackdown was sort of a game that a lot of people might not have played. It had a lot of potential, the first Crackdown. It's kind of on the difficult side. Did you get very far in the first Crackdown? I beat it two or three times. I love it. I think it's this game that came out under the radar. A lot of people bought it just because it had like a Halo beta or demo attached to it or something. Mm, mm. But it was an excellent co-op open world game. I thought it was so overlooked, and it's amazing. So I'm really excited about the second one. It's still a game I can go back to, no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's other games out that we don't know much about yet that I'm really looking forward to. The Last Guardian. That one looks really, really good, but I need to know a little bit more about it. Yes. And people can find you at Rachel.com. Yep. Twitter is Rachel, and about every other week I give away free games with video game trivia on my Twitter. And next up I have a really cool Zelda shirt, Bioshock 2, and Final Fantasy 13 to give away. Very good. And if people go to Rachel.com, they can also see your YouTube video reviews. Yep, I do different reviews and shows, and I just put out one today that's a little trivia game that I went and did at WonderCon. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing that. And hey, you know what? If you don't mind, please stay on the line. Keith will bring you back in for the council a little bit later on. Okay. I did have one question, though. Yeah. If this is just an audio show, why did I have to come on video? Uh, Skype is roboting. Can't hear. Uh, Bye. (sighs) You got busted. How long you been here? Long enough. (laughs) <laughs> hey, don't you have... I know what you've been doing, jet-setting around and everything. Hey, you know, Stink, it's official. What is? Ralph Bear, our special guest in Episode 5 of We Talk Games, has officially been named the creator of video games. And he insisted on having a video chat with me. I'm just trying to emulate one of the greatest personas in video game history. That's all there. Yeah, nice try. Uh, let's go to the council. Alright, here we are. We're all together for the meeting of the We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires Plus edition. On the line, Kyle Von Kubik, are you there? Are you with us? I'm on the line. Very good. John E. Capcom. Yes, sir. Broadcasting from the Moors, which I understand are hills in Ireland. Yes, yes I'm, they are. I'm quite knowledgeable on my terminology for foreign countries like Ireland. And speaking of Moores, oh, wow, Rachel Moore is uh, <laughs> on the Council Plus today, gifting us with her lovely Rachel Moores-isms. <laughs> uh, awesome. Welcome. Fantastic. Hi. Welcome to the Council of Video Game Millionaires. Now, Rachel, did you bring your million dollars? Because that's sort of a uh, necessity. Oh, I, I didn't. I just bought a bunch of stuff, so I, I don't think I have quite a million right now. You're but. A, a bit shy of a million. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. of good stuff on the download market right now uh, for all the consoles really bleeds the pockets out. Especially if you have an iPad. Then I'll tell you what, you'll never be a millionaire again. I'll tell you that because, wow, 
evaporates. How is that your... oversized iPod Touch? Hey, what's wrong with having it's a... awesome? What's wrong with having a big iPod Touch? Number one, um, I thought okay. it was stupid until I played with it, and then I was like, I need one it's right future... now. It's so it opens up so many avenues. Uh, let's start with an addendum I have for the council, which it would of course bore everyone except myself. But when we did our pinball show, which was phenomenal, number one. And number three, I left out one of my favorite pinball video games of all time, which is, of course, for that 64-bit monster, the Atari Jaguar. Uh, do the math, everyone. Do the math. Because if you didn't know, it's 64-bit. You know, your yeah. Genesis is only 16-bit. Your uh, TurboGrafx is only 16-bit. Your 8-bit Nintendo is only 8-bit. This is 64-bit. It's the future of gaming. And what better way to get the attention of teenage kids by... <laughs> Saying, do the math. Do the math, kids. <laughs> kids love math. So. Uh, but Ruiner for the Jaguar, was. this was the only system that this game was released for, Ruiner. What a phenomenal name, number one. Yeah, I'm surprised that this didn't sell more copies than actual Jaguar in-home consoles. Number one, you have two pinball games. The first is called Ruiner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the second is called Tower, which sort of ties into John and my favorite video pin of all time, which has to be the Devil's Crush, Devil's oh, Crash series. Definitely. But uh, Tower actually has some uh, demonic overtones with a sexy lady demon, but unfortunately it's it's not anywhere near as good as the Devil's Crush. But here, this is a really long flippered table, which feels odd to me. I'm, I'm not really into the real long flippers. In fact... But the Ruiner table itself has a double-wide table. So it's a really long table, plus it's double-wide. You can get over to the second table by hitting a few ramps. And there's plenty to do. It's an enhanced simulation, meaning that there's like uh, some planes flying around. It's themed in a 1950s nuclear war scenario. So you start with DEFCON 5, and then you work down to DEFCON 1, where you know you launch the nukes. So it's really neat, because it sort of has that 1950s them, giant monsters, types of nuclear war, fear, threat, feel. And you have four flippers per table on the on the Ruiner. As I mentioned, the flippers are very long. In fact, the upper flippers, the flippers on the upper board are missiles, which I hate when they theme the flippers to take on the characteristics of the theme of the pin, because that just draws me right out of it. And then uh, when you're on a top level and during, during multi-ball, you can actually play both sides of the table simultaneously. So you're working eight flippers simultaneously on both sides of the screen, and the screen pulls way back so you can see both halves, which is very cool. And the tower side, like I mentioned, uh, welcome to hell, please hold. That's your loading screen. Sexy demon lady. It's a stacked tower. That's why it probably was called tower, because it's either three or four tables, depending on how you want to count them. And you have alligator flippers in and up, but it's a bit choppy overall. And one of the neat things that I've never seen implemented in any other game that they did put in this bizarre, terribly named game for your Jaguar is that you can turn off and on this thing called Tiny Cam. It's a little picture-in-picture in your lower left-hand screen that's actually showing you what the current table goal is. So as Kyle and I get lost in these video pins of knowing what the, the goal is, what we're supposed to be hitting, and targets sure. to knock down, here's this little pip that can show you exactly what the goal of that table is. So that's just a little addendum to bring us into this month's Council of Video Game Millionaires Plus edition. 
Pick it up for your Jaguar now. Yes, go run out. And you know what? I think it's pretty inexpensive. So a Jaguar without the Jag CD, you can pick up pretty well. And if you're really, really into video pins, this is pretty much up there. It's definitely better than crew ball. So you'll you'll do well with that. And they also came out with pinball fantasies for the Jaguar as well, which you know came out for a zillion other systems. But uh, it's a very good version on the Jaguar. Now, on to today's show! Continuing on with a lot of the weird types of things that we like to talk about, that we like to focus on, a lot of the lovable losers, a lot of the oddball things. And last episode, we, we talked about... What did we talk about last episode? Weirdness and gaming. That's right, weirdness and gaming. But this is not to really continue on with that, although I think it all stems from unique and weird things in gaming. But right now, if we look around at our current gaming condition and how we're interacting with our video game systems, we see a lot of things on the horizon like the natal... Natal, well, I don't know how you say that. <laughs> natal, prenatal, zygote, right? Yes, the Natal. We see the magic wand thing of the PlayStation. We uh, see the, Ma- oh, oh, yeah, PlayStation magic wand. Yes, that's what it's called. PlayStation Move. There you go. Yes. The Move. They just they settled on something for that. That's good. We see, of course, our Wiimotes. Uh, that's that's nothing out of the ordinary. Now it's in just about every household that has purchased one game for their system that you know it has a Wiimote attached to it. We'll hopefully get into that a little bit more as well. And even things like Dance Dance Revolution and different types of stomp pads. I know Namco was to come out with a uh, stomp pad for the Wii. What the heck was it called? Family Fitness. Oh, no, that was that was what it was. Family Trainer. Called. Right, the oh. new version of the Family Trainer uh, was going to come out for the Wii. I don't know if that came out in Japan or I, I haven't seen it in the States at all. But It came out over here because it's it? old. Oh, okay, very good. Well, you know, it probably came out and came and went, but I, I really don't see it a lot. And multiple screens, we see this on our DS, touch screens. All this type of technology is, is a very big hit right now and really moving us, moving our current systems, moving how we play games now, and also will be moving us into the future uh, of video games. And it's pretty evident by all the big next-gen systems jumping on board with this more interactive technology. But it's nothing new. We've seen things like the Power Glove, U-Force. We've seen accelerometers before. We've seen the Game Handler, GS, which was, that had uh, tilt controls back when you had to use Mercury switches and things like this to just try to play your Sega or your Super Nintendo without, number one, it had a cord on it, uh, the Game Handler. It was a joystick type of control. But you would control all your movement by just tilting the, the joystick. And we had Taito on the horn. I talked to Sanbei-san about Hopping Road, which is actual pogo sticks that you get on and, um, well, children would get on, and hop your characters down the screen in some type of uh, pogo stick race. But we've seen these implemented in the arcades for quite a while. In fact, Taito was a big leader on some of these technologies. If we go back to Darius, if we go back to Ninja Warriors, those were three-screened arcade cabinets. So you had multiple screens that you were looking at. A lot of the early flight games even, even had a more mechanical field had projection television so that it could more encapsulate you and draw you more into the game. We often think of the, like uh, John had mentioned, the family trainer pad from Bandai that Nintendo then picked up to be their Nintendo Power Pad. They bought that from Bandai and then released it uh, in Japan and in the States. Now, did, how was the penetration in Ireland? 
I honestly don't ever really remember seeing one. It was probably called, like, Johnny Go Fitly or something. You might have remembered. Probably. Yes. Uh, Uh, (laughs) Jet Set Tarp, maybe? It was like a tarp that you stomped on? The thing is, the NES, we kind of got screwed on the NES. It came out a bit later than it should have over here, you know. Not a lot of the gimmicks kind of made it over because I I guess they failed in America and Japan. And they were like, well, why waste more money selling people crap they don't want? Right, right. It's hard enough to penetrate with the systems, I see. Uh, But what a lot of people forget is 1986, Bally made the arcade game called Stompin'. And Stompin' had a nine-grid rubber pad on the base of the arcade machine. And on screen, it correlated to a nine-grid pattern as well. And different bugs would come up and try to eat your cheese and stuff like this. And you try to stomp on the bugs. And I think there were some bugs that you shouldn't step on, like a bee. But my memory of that is kind of dwindling. That, that was quite a long time ago. But, you know, it had you stepping. Stepping on uh, different things, much like the Dance Dance Revolution. It wasn't music-based. It wasn't rhythm-based or anything like that. Taito also had Sonic Blast Man. Now, not to be confused with that side-scrolling beat-em-ups that we got on the Super Nintendo. But in 1990, they had Sonic Blast Man, which you still might be able to find in arcades today. There was this paddle in front of you, and there were two punching gloves that were chained to the arcade machine, and you would punch the villains, like you'd punch a thug that's trying to steal someone's purse, you'd punch a truck, you built your way up to punch a skyscraper, and giant crab monsters, and then you'd, it, it eventually would lead to you punching an asteroid away from the Earth. And this was all based on how, how much force you had behind your punch. Well, that was very similar to those arm wrestling arcade games that sure. you find. Yes, I mean, it was the same thing, and they, they all had different settings, of course, but it yeah. was all like uh, strength testing. Right. There were also a lot of force testing punching yeah. punching bags. Yeah, they totally. look like speed bags that you just you know hit as hard as you can with your bare knuckles. So these all have like mechanical roots and things like this, and and are we talking about mechanicals really when we're adding these different types of interactions in the home? We're well, adding a video element to these gimmicky peripherals, right, so right. Um, it's kind of a mix between the two, like the Wii Balance Board, which uh, we were discussing offline, wasn't or isn't as nearly as durable as the Power Pad for the Nintendo. <laughs> Right, I right. Was yeah, just you can't jumping jump off your couch and then you know trying to jump onto the Wii Balance Board like some of us did with the Power Pad. Right. You know about that, right? Cheating on the Power Pad. Yeah, to sure. Do the, do the long jump. You just jump off onto the couch or something. Yeah, I, I jump often, back. On. Of course, yeah. I would. I would. In fact, I played most of those sporting games by just sitting on the couch and then just you know tapping my feet on the floor. And then when I had to do long <laughs> jump, I just you know did a split. The Yaw Club, we used to call it. Uh, you know, we have little nicknames for all the different video game elements going on on screen when your friends would watch. We'd call that the Yaw Club. And okay. Just, you do the Yaw Club, you make a, a letter Y with your with your legs. So there you have that. Very good. Well, a lot of the innovations we're seeing today is stuff that was done back in the 80s. Right. Like- so what were some of your first memories? Kyle, we'll start with you. What were some of your first memories of unusual interaction with your video games? I'd have to say probably staying on track with Taito, walking into an arcade and seeing Arkanoid. And for some reason, I remember it being a sleeker cabinet, and maybe it was just because it had the minimalistic controls of just that metal knob paddle mm-hmm. in the middle. 
But um, something about that just it drew me like the trackball, which was also a neat novelty when I was a kid playing the arcade games. They were, they were different. It wasn't a joystick and four buttons or three buttons. It was different, unique element that made the game all the more interesting, at least, you know, when you're a kid. Sure, you know, because... Playing Marble Madness with that trackball is a lot different than oh. playing Marble Madness with a D-pad. You right. Know? And playing uh, Arkanoid with a D-pad is a lot different than playing it with that analog panel. So that was probably one of the earlier memories of uh, just something different, something that was unique for mm-hmm. its day. So remember, you know, 3D uh, gimmicks happening back in the early arcade era. So that's nothing new either. I mean, you know, it's better now. You know, it's. I'm sure that the new DS, the 3DS, the way it does 3D is probably going to be a lot different than the Sega Master System did 3D. But we've been mm. doing 3D in games. We've been doing motion controls in games since probably the Nintendo. Oh, yeah, sure. And, and even before, like I said, most of the standalone systems like Tank by Atari, the the Atari Pinball I talk about at Nauseam, the Atari Stunt Cycle. Those yeah, Atari had, had a paddle, you they, know, and that was the had, only way to play Breakout properly. Right. They had Spinner Knob, and, and the Atari uh, Stunt Cycle had a full motorcycle handlebars that you would that you would use but you know those games were built to use those controllers it, that's that's what works the best on Nintendo Wii games is games that were really built up from the ground to work with you know the unique controllers is but I, I think that you also play didn't you play a lot of game and watch gallery things I did have a couple game and watch games that were hand-me-downs from my pops and, and um, the dual screen ones I had one dual screen one. I had the um, Donkey Kong one. Okay. Dual screen. I also had, you know, uh, Fireman, Fireman, a few yeah, single great. screen ones. And those blew my mind when I was a kid. The, the fact that you could take the game, because this was before Game Boy, obviously. Sure. You could take a video game in a car. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter <laughs> that you were just playing one game and it was something relatively simple that and repetitive it was just the fact that you were looking at a screen and you felt like yes i am in the future right now i am pushing buttons on a device and things are happening yeah it's just a little black and white lcd and you (laughs) felt one step away from being in like a giant robotic suit you know (laughs) when you turn it a certain way you can see that that etching of the lcd of where yes of where the characters were it didn't matter matter. i mean home console wise yeah there was a lot of weird things the first time i saw a power glove what is that that seems so cool and futuristic and then, you know, 10 minutes in, we were just punching each other in the arm with it because we realized it was crap. <laughs> yeah. And oh, Glove had, Ball was awesome. That was probably the only game that was semi-okay yeah. with that peripheral. Well, uh, Rob the Robot oh, that's, was, yeah. was mythical, okay? Yeah. None of my friends on the block had a Rob the Robot, but one kid had a Nintendo Power that was like four months old that showed like Rob the Robot, and we would all just be like, what does this thing do? Because none of us had it. And it, our imaginations were <laughs> like just blowing this thing up to something it could never be. There's not a robot that exists today that could do what we thought Rob the Robot could do. Yeah, it's going to serve you dinner and stuff, bring you a beer. Yeah, I think there was only, what, a, one one game for it or two games? Well, no, there were two. There was uh, Gyromite and Stack Up, and Stack Up kind of stunk. Uh, well, so did Gyromite. And uh, I think there were supposed to be more, like, checkers and che- I can't remember. There was supposed to be more stuff that came out for this, but never did. Well, I- if Nintendo's track record is going to stay the way it is right now, expect a robot buddy. <laughs> that would be Any awesome. Any minute now, because... 
they were doing the power glove with the motion controls back in the 80s. They were doing the Wii balance board with that power pad back in the 80s. So it's only a matter of time before you have a robotic operating buddy sitting next to you playing whatever the next Nintendo console is. Well, I think that Sony has that covered with their little virtual pet. I mean, that, to me, uh, that's a replacement for their their Ibo. I played with that at GDC, and it did not work like they want you to think it does. Oh, that's sad. I was so unimpressed with everything that they showed that was just with iToy 2.0. Uh-oh. Um, I'm on the other side of the fence than you guys are. I don't like this gimmicky stuff. Hmm. It didn't work back in the day. It's not going to work today. I mean, like think of like the iToy. That's just a few years ago, and it never worked. It would like latch onto a fan you had going on in the room, or if you had too much lighting on one side of the camera, hmm. it couldn't read you. Same thing with, with this new move setup. I played the boxing game. I played just the dev kit thing where you got to pretend like you had swords and stuff, and it didn't work like they want you to think it does. I am not into the gimmicks at all. I'll review Wii games and talk about how much I hate the waggle. Anytime I have to use the Wii remote, I get Uh very frustrated, so I am not into the gimmicks at all. Uh Well, even with the Wii, I like what Nintendo's doing with it because with a lot of the Nintendo games, you still get to play it like a video game and they implement some of the motion controls every now and then. Just like Super Mario Galaxy. There's only really twice that you use the motion controls. And pretty much all just the first-party Nintendo games, they're not forcing it down your throat like a lot of the third-party games are. The third-party games are like, you're going to be moving constantly. But Nintendo understands that most gamers don't want to be up and running around like idiots unless you know you're playing the games that you're supposed to, like the Wii Sports and the Wii Fit games. Mm-hmm. But they know that Paper Mario and Animal Crossing and, and the, the Mario titles, we just want to sit there with the control in our hands and play it. And Nintendo gets that. Yes, Where I don't that- think Sony does. Sony's like, oh, they want to move around. Okay, we're going to make them move around constantly. And I think a lot of peripheral games actually are a step away from future gaming because I think with games that are really gimmicky and they got the peripherals, it's losing sight of what makes a video game good, which is the story, the character development, the environment. And when you add motion and look, now you have a camera, all of that, that the things that make a, good, a game good gets pushed to the side hmm, and yeah, dumped absolutely. down. I agree 100%. I think that we're seeing a um, big pushback, especially with downloadable arcade at home, things like that, with games like Cave Story and BitTrip. These games are not cutting edge as far as using different controls or 3D, but they're innovative in their own way. I mean, you're seeing Capcom dial back Mega Man to an 8-bit era. It's because that's a game. That's a video game. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Microsoft's even worse. Now Microsoft is asking you to have a separate room to play the what uh, I'm going to say natal natal because <laughs> you got me saying the wrong thing and a three a three point lighting rig yeah right? it's 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 no joke you really need a, a full lit studio in I mean, order that's to make not your cameras a video work. game I mean no. and don't get me wrong it, it could be successful in its own sort of niche I'm just not interested in doing it I'm interested right. in sitting there with a the controller and playing a game and I really do I think we're seeing a push back maybe it's even subconscious. But it's something that it's like, okay, yes, there is all this extra stuff that, you know, we have great graphic cards that can render things that it's, it's nearly realistic. But you know what? Let's, let's make an 8-bit looking game. Let's make a 16-bit looking game. 
Well, I think it's because we have, A, of course, we have tons of casual gamers right now that feed off of the gimmick stuff. But then we also have this whole, like, this weird new generation of gamers that weren't gamers as kids like we are. But because gaming's so, you know, mainstream now and people are getting into it that really had no interest, we have this large group of gamers that aren't casual. They are playing Halo and Call of Duty. They're playing the mainstream games. So they are a little bit hardcore, but they weren't raised on gaming like we are. And they're catching on to the peripheral thing as well because it's new to them. They didn't grow mm. up with this stuff that we're seeing a rehash of. They're like, oh, wow, a camera. Whoever thought of that? It's right. like, no, we've seen this already tons of times and it didn't work before. I don't think it's going to work now. But I think our group of people that grew up with this stuff and we know, yeah, this isn't really going to work. We just want a good game. Our group is very small, and our voice is not heard because right now the money is in peripherals. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think that's a, a regression in gaming. Well, think, some uh, games, some games are coming out like Uncharted Two, that completely is a huge step forward for gaming. But then we do have all this other crap mixed right. in the middle that's clouding it up. I think Activision just got a big slap in the face, though, because they were pushing these peripherals too much. There was too much plastic instruments being forced down the consumer's throat. So now, like, sales of that DJ hero were not what they expected at all. And it's because I think it's just people are kind of... And maybe you're right. Maybe it's just because it's too much of the same. And with this casual market, maybe they're always looking for the next new gimmick. And it was just too much of the same thing over and over again coming out of Activision with the Guitar Hero franchise. But I was hoping that that was a sign that it was being dialed back a little bit where it's like, okay, enough of the plastic crap in my house. I just want to play a game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I have to think that there's there's um, a little bit of a division here because I think we're losing sight of the fact that when video games started, you only had two buttons, really. You had buttons to press. You didn't even have a joystick. Uh, in the arcades. And then as arcades progressed, we had a joystick involved. We had spinner knobs. We had mm-hmm. potentiometers for the Pong games. Video games and the environment that you played them in were synonymous with what was going on on screen. It wasn't so much a gimmick that was attached to it. It was That was how you played the game. Dissatron, you can't play any other way except by using that three-position spinner knob and that crazy joystick with multiple buttons on it, triggers and, sure. and thumb buttons. Don't and get me wrong. I understand that a lot of innovations are the natural evolution of video games. Like, I remember when the Nintendo 64 came out and everyone Mm. looked at that controller and was like, how do I hold this? How do I use this? Why is there a little joystick in the center? I don't get it. And then everybody played GoldenEye and everybody was like, this is how you play a first-person shooter. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, you play GoldenEye today and it's not as magical or great, but it still holds up in the sense that, yes, it works as a game on that system very well. And I get that. But, the, the, you know, the, the 3D and then once you get into the motion controls, it, I think that, yes, we're going to go above and beyond and then maybe we'll fall back a little bit in line where it will be there in an accelerometer. The six axis, I was just u- trying to use mm. that with heavy rain. And oh, uh, at times I it was very, it. In, yeah, it was very annoying using the, the motion controls. Every time that came up in heavy rain, it seemed that I could never hit it just right. Um, that, so I think that we will see f- bits and pieces of this stay, but I don't think it's just going to be here's your TV and here's a camera looking at you and I'm just going to mm-hmm. manipulate things on a screen. I don't think it's going to 
just boil down to that. Well, I don't think it will until we improve in optics. Right now, I can't agree more that the cameras that we currently have and the cameras that came with our PS2, they didn't come with it, but you had to buy extra. But the PlayStation Eyes so far, I've been very unimpressed with. Trials of Topak comes to mind, where you're supposed to be able to control a ball rolling maze game. The interface is sort of like pin art, so you're supposed to be able to press into the screen with your hands just waving in the air, and this is supposed to move the ball around the maze, like Camel Try or something like that, and make that happen, but as you mentioned, you really need a well-lit studio. You need all this stuff going on. I don't think these cameras are at the point yet where they can have a good understanding of your movements. It's sort of just like using the activator. Well, everybody's <laughs> living room is different and how close their sure. TV is from their living room. Like mine is, the living room is kind of small. So a camera on my TV is not going to find me anywhere, especially with Natal, where it needs to be able to see from your head all the way to your feet. Like, who has that kind of room yeah. that can stand in front of a camera on their TV, especially if their TV's huge? There's just, mine's 68 inches. There's no way it can read top of my head to the bottom of my feet. You have a DSi, right? Yeah. Okay, you must have played the Wario for that. Yeah. How did that work out for you? I didn't like it as much. Hmm. I just, I don't think any, all of this, the motion control and the cameras are sensitive enough mm -hmm. to pick up on things as they want it to. Like, yeah. it was interesting, but there are still times of me, like when it wanted to take a picture or wanted me to get into a certain position, you have to line yourself up. Yep. I spent more time lining myself up and holding it and be like, okay, camera, I'm as good as I'm going to get and sitting there than I did actually playing the game. Yeah, yeah. I, I was only able to play one game and that worked pretty well. And then I could not get lined up again. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the one game I am really, really looking forward to on the DSi is a downloadable game called Ghostwire. And you're going to hold the DSi up and it's going to, like, find ghosts in your apartment. So the ghosts <laughs> are going to show up on your screen. I see. That oh. is going to be awesome. This was like the arcade game that we couldn't figure out the name of. Oh, right. Yeah, when ghosts. I was eight. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, we talked about last episode this arcade game where it had a little diorama of a haunted house that was real. It was like a model, and then it would project the images of the ghost in the house, and then this model would, like, the stairs would shake and the doors would open and stuff, and we still couldn't that figure out That sounds so fun. Oh, that sounds very Seventh Guest. Yes. Uh -huh. Only a, a lot better in my memory than Seventh Guest was. So. Johnny <laughs> Capcom, what were some of your early memories of interacting with video games in a unique way? That worked. Let's let's make uh, the distinction. I think we're getting hung up on the camera, which I think everyone agrees has yet to work on anything. Uh, and I think John found a camera that did work very well. It's oh yes, unfortunate that that yeah he was talking about it last month with the Ralph Bear oh, uh, high score. Camera. That took oh, yeah. your photo. Well, we, we all agree that cameras are good to take your photo for high scores as long as you have a well lit room. But I've I've told you the horror stories of trying to put. Chizzy's face on the Dance Dance Revolution for the PlayStation 2 and how she just looked entirely like Frankenstein when it finally <laughs> mapped her on there. So, I mean, that's nothing new to these not even working for taking your picture. But You know, my pal used the camera, though, to do the uh, Tiger Woods game oh, two right, days right. ago, yeah. and it actually did look like him, like okay. mapping his face. You know, you, you take pictures of your face, you put it on the web, and then you can put it in the game. That's kind of neat when you're playing multiple online games. But what do you remember? John? I'm not sure if any of you guys played this, and I don't even know the name of the game. 
but uh, it was like a Sega boxing game. And it was in the arcades uh, a long time ago, obviously. I remember it always kind of screamed at me to just go play this thing because it was a boxing game, but the controls, it was like two joysticks, but they were kind of like a handle on a rapier sword comes yeah. down in front of your knuckles. Have yep. you played it? Yeah. And, you, and it was just, blue. One side, it was the blue. blue and one side was red. It was red. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this game was awesome. And it was their answer to punch out, right? It was like punch out. You were a wireframe guy on screen, and then you were fighting some other guy. You you know, you could see through yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were punching up into the screen. And it was really fun. I myself put some damage on the one I used to play in the arcade. And everyone else did as well. And those things held up incredibly well. I played it like five or six years ago, and the thing was still going strongly. And those sticks took a lot of damage. Sure. See, those are those are the type of uh, arcade experiences that you really can't replicate at home because then we really would be up to our eyeballs in in different peripherals. Let alone the all the different bands. You have the Aerosmith kit, you have the Beatles kit, you have the Thin Lizzy kit. I guess is coming out. Maybe never. Only in Ireland, the Thin Lizzy kit. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yes, I'd buy <laughs> it. And even though I have twenty drum sets and thirty things, uh, even the p original Punch Out. I mean, we've we've never really experienced that at home. We've had great versions of punch out at home no doubt about that but nothing that had that big giant button to do your knockout how do you guys ever play prop cycle props oh, that's where you pedaled right yeah and that's one of those games that was a completely big gimmick game you sat up on like an exercise bike and you powered it by pedaling and you flew and, right yeah you were flying around this kind of island and i remember it was really oh. peaceful yeah, yeah it was like a really peaceful game because the village had floated up into the sky and you had to get the village down now it didn't quite make a lot of sense because the way you got the village down was by popping hot air balloons yes i remember when you'd uh, pedal and get up really high like and make the guy fly as high as he possibly can and then when you like push down for him to descend, the fan on the front of the arcade cabinet would blow air in your face. Right. That was so, not by Sega, right? That was a Sega game. No, it was Namco. Oh, it was okay. It was Namco. All right. I just remember like it was like ninety seven, ninety six around there. Yeah, it was like when the, Namco brought out that Time Crisis, and there was this kind of weird kayak racing game mm. as well, where you were sitting in a, well. yes. a kayak cabinet, and uh, those were just really cool. And those are. Those kind of harken back to the original kind of gimmick carnival setups, you know, where you shoot a clown in the face or something. <laughs> but I think that's for a lot of that kind of goes back to that. And I think it works well when the hardware is there, mm -hmm. you know, when you're playing the gimmick thing. And because it worked well in the arcade, because the hardware, of course, was just a specific thing. Like, But uh, I think the hardware is certainly there in this generation for stuff like that to maybe work. But I don't think, especially with the Xbox thing, I don't think taking control away will really help. And I've yet to see anyone on a video or whatever playing games with the Natal that isn't a Microsoft employee. So I'm not <laughs> well, so... And here's the difference, too, about these old arcade games that we're all nostalgic about and the home console was these were units that were dedicated machines to play this one game, whereas exactly. the console, you're supposed to be switching out game after game after game. Mm -hmm. So to have something like a dedicated control like that, it seems like it's limiting. Uh, and maybe it's just me being an old man about it, but I just I seem it seems like you're making it less expensive. You're, you're narrowing it down or paring it down. So it's you have to modify the thing as well. Like, you know. And uh, actually, to go to have a parallel to your Game & Watch story, Kyle, I actually had a Super Mario World watch. Oh, I remember those two. Yeah, it was like the LCD screen, and uh, yep. I remember sitting in the back of the class in school, playing this 
I mean, like, I loved the thing, and I still love it, but it was terrible Super Mario World yes. representation. But I was sitting in school, my fingers on my wrist, playing Super Mario Brothers as the music kind of eked out, and looking up at my teacher going, look at that fool, he can't tell I'm playing Mario World. He thinks I'm just really concerned about the time. <laughs> yeah, That's adorable. Great. That's awesome. In uh, the Ambassador, the... Uh, terrible arcade that used to exist around here where you get stabbed when you get your change over the machines. Uh, the, there used to be a Street Fighter original cabinet that had the pressure-sensitive buttons. And uh, it didn't have the pads, you know, the orig- on Fighting Street where it had a big punch pads instead of buttons. Right, yeah. Well, there, was also, there was also just the buttons. So it would be standard arcade-sized buttons, but they're still power-sensitive. And I got to see this machine well after its glory days and around the buttons there were the knuckle indentations of people who had been punching the front of the cab to get and it was like blood stains in the in the holes because people would be cutting themselves and the buttons themselves were falling apart it's crazy and we've had pressure sensitive buttons since what ps2 i guess was the first controller to implement that and Mm -hmm. and how many people really understood to use the, the the pressure sensitive abilities of of those buttons I still oh, I loved it. it. It's, I loved it. But it's so difficult, I think. Well, that's another thing that Heavy Rain implements that oh, yeah. I would get hung, hung, hung up on sometimes, yeah. And it, we see that a lot with the, the plungers on our uh, Zen pinball. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's See's, pressure sensitive, so you mm-hmm. can do the skilled shot. Yeah. Every time I press the X button to pull back my plunger, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pressure sensitive. I mean, every time. Right. I, I I will constantly forget that it's pressure sensitive. I will play so the game over and over. Like an eighth. And and I'm I don't know. It's just it doesn't register in my brain until I, and I press and I'm like, oh yeah, it's pressure sensitive. And I'll say this every time. I get sick of myself, repeating myself like an old man. I, you just want it to be devil's pressure. You just want it to be devil's. Crush. I do want it to be. Every video pin I play, I'm like, this isn't Devil's Crush. I really want it to be. <laughs> Even though it has alligator flippers, which is something I've always wanted in one of my pinball machines, uh, it's still not Devil's Crush. All right, Rachel, well, I know that you've been a protagonist against uh, anything with a gimmick label, but th- there has to be some things like, I mean, a Nintendo DS having two screens, that was considered a gimmick by some, but it really works for the games that implement it, I think, or, or do you disagree with that? No, I agree. I think Nintendo sometimes can actually step out of it and not co- and it not be a gimmick. Like Nintendo mm-hmm. just seems to know how to implement something innovative and not make it stupid. Right, right. <laughs> For lack of a better word, PlayStation move stupid. Yeah. But Nintendo Wii and what they've done so far, not stupid. They just they just seem to understand who their market is, what they're doing with it, and what they're going to do with it. It's like they have a, a future plan where, like, Sony and Microsoft both, when they've tried to do stuff like this, they just end up maybe putting out a few crappy titles for whatever their their little peripheral is mm-hmm. and then forget about it. But Nintendo just seems to know what to do. Like, even way back in the day, Nintendo just knows, I don't know, they're just, they're very, very savvy when it comes to this kind of stuff. They have flopped on occasions, but I guess that's what happens yeah. when you take a chance. Yeah. Nintendo I mean, you know, does get called gimmick a lot, and a lot of times you're like, just wait, you'll see, and then we end up loving it. Mm-hmm. Well, two things. One, Nintendo's had more years of experience than either gaming companies. So they've experimented with dual screens back in the Game & Watch days. Sure. So they, they kind of knew what they were getting into with that. And re- as far as flops are concerned, 
only real big flop they ever had was the Virtual Boy. And the Power right. Glove and Rob yeah. the Robot. Rob the but Robot the, killed the American system. Yeah, well, the, yeah, well, but those helped. were peripherals. Yeah, was, that was wasn't a, a console. Like they, they didn't right. fl- like they didn't oh, have gotcha. a flop system. Like the disc system Sega. was a bit of a flop. True, but that was yeah. That, we never that was, even got it. That was localized with just Japan. No, that wasn't worldwide. But yeah, you're right. The disc system was a flop because the little rubber bands would break and other little mishaps would happen. But uh, Nintendo has all this experience behind them, so like I think that's why when they say they're going to make the 3DS, like you know that it's going to be something paying, yeah. you know, worth paying attention to. Right. Especially now with the position that they're in, they were, back when they released the DS, or you know, were teasing the release of the DS, they weren't on top of the game. So people were like, "Oh, this thing's going to be crap. It's not a Game Boy because Nintendo had ingrained the Game Boy brand into our brains that no other portable system could work except for something that had the name Game Boy in it." Well, Nintendo's more known also for I, I'd have to say for quality. I'm not saying that Microsoft and Sony isn't known for quality. But they have a longer running stand of really quality products and first party games. So usually, like you were saying, you know, they they say we're going to do something 3D, and we don't think it's a joke because they're just they're just known for more quality time and time and time again. Like if Sony had come out and like we're making a new 3D PSP, I would have laughed them out the door. But yeah. when Nintendo says it, I'm like, okay, I'm actually interested in seeing this when. Which is weird, because I dislike 3D more than I dislike peripherals. Hmm. Nintendo have never really messed up their core franchises, either. Right. They, I mean, there's rarely bad Mario or Zelda games or Metroid games. Oh, I see. So Plus, Nintendo, they never have tried to be what they aren't. I mean, Xbox and PS3 need to understand that their core audience are the more hardcore gamers, especially Xbox. They have to realize that their core audience is going to be the shooters and the war games. So it's okay if they want to step out of that, but they need to remember who their core audience is. Nintendo's never tried to be something else. They're like, you know what? Yeah, we've got the family market. We are a little bit more family-friendly and casual, and they embrace it, and they, they find ways to make it reach out to the hardcore audience. And to your point, I think that both Sony and Microsoft are sort of playing catch-up with whatever the leader's doing. And I think that's where it's failing. Right. When the, that's what I, the PS3 is, is a catch-up. Sure, sure. But you know what? It's a powerful system. I, I really love that system. There's something endearing about it, probably because it, it was last for so long, and, and mm-hmm. that always endears me to a gaming console. Uh, but they tried to launch with something that they should have been committed to, and we see this in the PSP Go, but one of the things was the implementation of their PlayStation Eye. When they came out with that Hasbro combo card game, Eye of the Beholder, they were saying how, you know, this is going to make your creatures come to life in your card games, and then they just abandoned it. The right. PSP right. Go... They don't commit. They don't commit. The PSP Go, well, yeah. they want to move forward. They want to capture that iPod market. They don't jump in with both feet. They just say, ah... I don't know. Yeah. They were listening to too many detractors who were saying that a downloadable future is never going to happen. Guess what? It's going to happen. And Sony could have been on top of that if they just would have committed, if they ju- just would have taken the hit and said, yes, we will come up with a system for you can download the games you already have. Because you know what? It, their system is just used for piracy. Nine times out of ten, when I see somebody playing a PSP, they're playing a Super Nintendo game on it. Right. Because yeah. they've cracked it. They're playing ROMs. It's a pirated system. So you got a new system now. 
take the hit. All those suckers who bought your UMDs, let them have their games, and then go download only. You could have been the trailblazers mm-hmm. in that situation, but yeah. instead they dipped their toe in and then pulled it right back out. Yeah. Now, That's what the PS2 was so good, and then they followed it with PS3, which PS3 I think is definitely the most. It's it's the most powerful system out right now, but nobody's utilizing it except yeah. me. I'm gonna have to go again. Say Uncharted two, mm-hmm. and I'd have to say God of War three showed off how great the PS3 is. But it, Sony again is just kind of like they they have their feelers out, and then they really just need to jump in and commit. And that's their problem. That's why they're failing is because they're not committing to anything. Mm-hmm. They yeah, want to think- do a little bit of what everybody's doing yeah. instead of just going full force into something. They took such a gamble with the PlayStation and had such a great return. I, I think that they got yeah. the success too soon, and I think that they just thought everybody was going to buy the Panini Grill with the Spider-Man font, right. and then people were like, <laughs> you know what, I'm not interested in that, and it kind of took them back. Like, wh- what do you mean? We're PlayStation. They yeah. didn't have, just like the even the PlayStation 2, when the PlayStation 2 came out, it didn't really have a strong library of games, mm-hmm. and that's what the PlayStation 3 suffered from. You know, yeah. people were playing, what, Heavenly Sword? Yeah, it took a long time for PS2 to catch on. But when it did, it's got an amazing library of some of the best games. Sure. But then they they just kind of, again, followed very lackluster and anticlimactic with the PS3. And they're like, trust us, it's going to be awesome. And we're still kind of waiting. Okay, Sony, blow my mind. Please, I want you to. Well, don't you know you can imagine... What is that? <laughs> I have a PlayStation 3. I don't even know what, what am I doing. That's am the I biggest... doing that in my sleep? What am I doing this I imagine? Hey, you can download the dynamic theme of I imagine, uh-huh. and it's free. Then maybe you'll understand. <laughs> That's the problem with, with Sony, especially in the United States. I don't know what the commercials are like in Ireland, but in the United States, the Sony ads for their system is, look, a movie on the side of a building. Look, a, a guy and a girl, they're becoming friends. Hey. I th- do like the Kevin Butler commercials, though. Oh, I love them, too. He's so funny. I follow him on Twitter, and he makes me laugh all the time. Like Plain. a Joe Izuzu character uh-huh. is just so clever. I love it. I think that's a throw also towards the direction of the, and John, you can pitch in on this, the Dreamcast uh, commercials from Japan. Sega Sanshiro. That's it. Now he those was the Sega Saturn hot. guy, actually. Oh, the Sega Saturn guy, that's right. Now that guy was, he was hot. He was awesome because he used to have a giant Saturn character, and he'd throw the Saturn down, and there'd be, he'd have a giant pad, and he'd do his karate punches on the buttons of the pad. <laughs> But uh, the advertising over here is, uh, if I'm honest with you, they just show, show pictures of the systems, the games running, and then they go, look, it's cheap. <laughs> that's all people care about. No here. black octopuses that form out of pixels and stuff. I remember we got the the David Lynch ads for the PS2, hmm. where it was like, it'd be like a guy sitting in a room in a, yeah. with a rabbit costume on and then it just say PS2, PS2. Yeah, what were those commercials? <laughs> the baby Again, the baby doll with the bleeding eyes and the head would spin? <laughs> I guess they got... What are you David selling Lynch. me, Sony? They got David Lynch and he just probably went, uh, I know what I'll do. <laughs> I you love know? David Lynch. So you what's know, the future I mean, of gaming? The future of gaming is a joystick? A, what, what is it? Well, it's the joystick in my house, I'll tell you that, because I'm buying them all every time I see one. You buy the fighting control sticks, right, John? Oh, yeah, I've got two in the room with me now, and I plan on picking up at least three or four more just because I, I, I have a feeling I'm going to break the two that I have anytime soon. Right on, man. All right, and Rachel, you believe that it is not in movie cameras. 
Uh, no, I just want to. I hope the future of gaming is awesome gameplay, awesome story, enveloping character development, and a controller that just fits well in my hand. That's Very all I want. Very good, Kyle von Kubik. Future of gaming will probably be a uh, potpourri of everything we just discussed right now. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and some things more prevalent than others. You know, I think we will see camera gimmicks like we you know the dsi is an example it has a little camera in there and we might see more of that in the future but i don't think the answer is just simply standing in front of your television or waving whatever that is that sony is making us wave but how are you going to (laughs) block soccer balls as a goalie if you don't do that you know those are the type of games i want to play exactly you know (laughs) you want to be goalie yes yes yeah i'm the goalie the game very good well i'm still waiting to jack in I can't wait to do that. I've only been waiting to jack in for the past, I don't know, I just 20 years of gaming. Yeah. Hopefully we'll, we'll get into that, the mind control games. But then, you know what, <laughs> then you have to constantly be thinking about the game. Like, I like to play Sneezies on my iPad while I'm playing a regular game on my television. But what would be the difference if you could just plug in your brain? Like, when I'm playing a video game, I'm not thinking about the controller in my hands and mm-hmm. what I, how I'm doing it to manipulate what's on screen. So if you jacked my brain into the game it'd be the same reaction yes but it, it would have to knock out all the other chatter that's going on that's my problem oh, yeah because i think about I, food i think if, about you know oh i don't I'm on like, television i am dead to the world for eight hours when i put in a video game there is nothing else around me you are zombie never be able gamer. to make attractive you'd never, you'd never be able to make attractive video game characters ever again. that's true that's see be- maybe that's a man thing rachel maybe you know because when we see certain camis and things like this happening on television no i understand i i have a crush on on nathan drake and alistair so i completely understand okay well maybe you, you <laughs> know. i'm very proud to say i have no crush on any video game character what are you talking about i i, I don't i don't have a crush mm. on any video game character you're a weirdo there's got to be one somebody come on mr Pac-Man. everybody loves kasumi yeah, I like I like Samus, but that's only because I'm a huge Metroid fan. I don't think I have a crush on her. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's Elena a topic for another Uncharted? show. Come now on. I'm just getting uncomfortable. There's somebody. <laughs> All right, well, I'm we'll... going to find you a video game girlfriend. Damn it, <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, how can we not go out on that? Thank you, everyone, for being a part of this month's We Talk Game Council of Video Game Millionaires. We went a little long, but, you know, this is the future of gaming and the passive gaming and the middle of gaming. So how can you not? Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and I'll talk to you next month on We Talk Games. Bye now. See you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's it. Hey, Titerific today. Fantastic. I'd like to thank Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, and Rachel Moore... Stinky and TT as always. Special thanks to Taito. And of course, we couldn't do it without you, our listeners. Thank you so much for allowing us this time inside your earballs. Stay tuned for our breakout bonus levels. And we'll talk to you soon on We Talk Games. Bye now.